Hello, hello. Welcome to True Cult Pop. I don't know why I did it in a weird sort of throwback Mary Poppins Cockney accent, but I did. What are you going to do about it? It's me, Stephen Hill. It's the popular music podcast, True Cult Pop. And joining me as ever, me old bamboo. Me old bamboo, me old bamboo. Me old bamboo. It's Sam Slight. Hello, Stephen Hill, boy. You cool. Right, cool. Oh, Stoner right Crows. brand off I am. <laughs> cool. Stoner Crows. Why are we doing this? Uh, you started it. Don't blame I me. I did start yeah. it. Why did I start it? Who can know? Who will ever know? Well, I think it's, one of those mysteries. I think it's because you like wanted to do the triangle. Yeah, probably. I mean, well, why did you start it? Probably because you wanted to talk about pop music. So. Oh, oh yeah, you meant that thing rather than the podcast. Oh, sorry. Oh, yes, what, the accent. What I've done what is misunderstood for the purposes of comic effect there. So, mm, great banter. Great that. banter. <laughs> it really is. How you been, mate? I've been good, thank you, mate. Nowhere near as busy as you from the sounds of it, but still reeling from a wonderful but long chat on The Fragile by Nine Inch Motherfucking Nails. Oh, he's gone straight in. He's gone straight into the old Patreon sting. Yeah. Can't believe it. Can't believe it. Sam. <laughs> The corporate um, shill. Quite, quite right to do that, to be fair. Uh, this week, we're going to be doing something. Before I get into that, we are going to be trying to find the finest live album ever. Today, if you're listening to this podcast, the day it comes out marks a mammoth 65 years mm. since Johnny Cash's Live at Folsom Prison classic live album. One of the, one of the all-time most recognisable live albums ever. It's actually recorded on this day. 65 years ago, if you're listening to this podcast that it came out. So we thought we would talk about live albums and try and work out what the greatest live album ever is. But before we get to that, so strap yourself in. Could be quite a long podcast. Strap yourself in. And also, while you're strapped in, if you can reach over, reach over and go to patreon.com forward slash true cult pop. And you can sign up to listen to the aforementioned Fragile Special by Nine Inch Nails that we put out this week. Sam and I, uh, if you sign up for £5 a month, you get a pair of classic albums on the True Classic Pop tier. Any other amount, you can just sign up for a quid and suggest an album. We'll have, you know, we've got plenty of them up as well. But really, want to be talking about the two-part, four-and-a-bit-hour special that we did on The Fragile by Nine Inch Nails. First half went out for free, so if you haven't signed up, uh, then you are welcome to go and listen to that, and then hopefully that will make you want to listen to the rest of it as well. But um, it's the most notes I've done on anything for a bloody long time. And if I was going to dedicate such a huge amount of time to a record... That is one of the records that I would happily dedicate a lot, a lot, a lot of time to because it is fucking incredible, that record. And I, I will never stop finding new things that I love about it. It's an absolute fucking masterpiece. And to be honest, going in, um, so re-listening to an album <laughs> that you already know really, really well, but listening to it with the kind of proviso of, right, I have to think and explain or think about and explain quite why this works and why it affects me in the way it does. Um it's it continues to go up in my estimations it is just you know a flawless um labyrinthine masterpiece it's absolutely fucking brilliant and you know i mean obviously that is a very daunting prospect and it is quite a daunting album but it's got so many absolute bangers across it that i think you know spoiler for some of that episode i think we maybe in the in the majority view where you kind of forget that the fragile does have moments where you can actually dance and sing along to it it's not yeah. just resolute bleakness all the way through. Uh, I mean, it is mm -hmm. fucking bleak, but like, it's an absolutely staggeringly good album. And yeah, great fun. Great fun. 
great fun i hope you enjoyed it if you did listen to it we've had lots of very nice feedback already if you haven't listened to it then please do go and listen to it over at patreon.com over at well on this feed yeah listen to the first two hours and 15 minutes and the last sort of hour and 50 minutes are over at patreon.com forward slash true cult pop and the next one we have coming will be on public enemies fear of a black planet hell yeah sam's pick which is another really really fucking great album so there you go uh before we get into anything else we should talk about a couple of little songs that we have been playing throughout the last week Mm. that have got stuck in our heads i'm going to kick it off i think with uh hard times by paramore now paramore are touring this year they're going to be coming over to the uk for the first time in a little while with block party as a support band oh lovely i'm pretty fucking keen to see that show to be honest because i I was when paramore came out and they were sort of painted as a, a pop punk band i was just like ah i'm not gonna like this band i'm just not gonna like them really and for years and years and years i didn't really have an opinion on paramore i just didn't really pay that much attention to them and I think maybe it's because they've changed quite a lot. Maybe my tastes have changed a little bit over the years. And I think Hayley Williams' uh, dual solo albums that came out in the last couple of years are both great. It made me go, I should listen to Paramore a bit more. I really, really, can I shock you? I really <laughs> like Paramore, <laughs> right? I, I think Paramore now are really, really great. And their fifth album, After Laughter, which is the previous record that came out in... I want to say... 17, I believe. 2017, yes. and I am right to say that. This is the lead single uh, from that record. And you can tell with the last couple of songs that Paramore have released that they are very definitely going down that kind of new wavy route even more. And to be honest with you, I'm delighted about that. I've seen a few people go, oh, don't just do that. Where's the kind of old school emo pop punk bangers it's like nah don't listen to those people <laughs> don't listen to them keep on doing this because hard times is better than misery business it's probably my favorite paramore song i would say this is an absolute fucking rager of a song it's got all the stuff on it that i like it's got that kind of i mean we'll be talking about talking heads a little bit later mm. obviously talking about live albums but it has got that kind of shiny mid 80s talking heads thing which is just slightly slightly something slightly odd about it as well most importantly it's just got the biggest fucking chorus oh absolutely gargantuan chorus and it's amazing i think this is just a fucking excellent song isn't it surely uh yeah i can't disagree with you at all there steve so um briefly sort of my uh, relationship with Paramore, uh, pretty non-existent. I mean, when Riot came out, obviously, Misery Business was everywhere. And I was the perfect age. I was the target demographic. I was a pasty little black-haired boy who didn't really know what he was doing with himself. So, obviously, you know, your My Chemical Romances, your Paramores, all that gubbins. Um, I was the absolute dead cert for it. But I never really got on with them. Paramore, like Misery Business, I always liked the song. But I listened to Riot and I was like, eh... It doesn't really do it for me in the same way that something like the Black Parade does. Um, and still does to this day, actually. So Paramore are a band I've largely ignored, to be honest. Like I've been aware that they were there, but I've not really spent that much time with them until listening to Hayley Williams' uh, Petal for Ar- Petals for Armour, which I thought was a brilliant album. And I was like, oh, oh, mm. hang on. Oh, someone's clever, aren't they? They don't just write big riffs. I thought, yeah, this is really good. And so I have gone and investigated bits and bobs of Paramore. And 
I feel like the general the general view amongst the sort of the quote unquote casual Paramore fan is that after laughter is a bit of a maybe misstep because it does go away from those emo tendencies. So I never really bothered with it. Ridiculous. Oh my fucking god, how wrong those people are. This is absolutely amazing. Um when I put it on, I was like well, I mean, those drums, I mean, this is so 80s. And that first guitar riff that comes in, it's like, oh, of course Steve likes this because it's another band who sound who are trying to sound like Duran Duran, which is never a bad mm. thing, is it? Her name is Haley, and she dances on the sand on a Paramore album. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, it's fucking brilliant. It's so joyous. As you say, that chorus, fucking massive. Um, and the, the the little coda to the end of it, and I'm going to get to rock bottom. It's so yeah, good. Yeah, it's great. So good. Um, really, really good. Yeah, I feel like adult for not paying more attention to Paramore, especially in their later years. So I'm very, very excited for their new album, which I believe is out early February. It's only a few weeks away, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to try and get that so we can review it, I reckon, because, yeah, I'm pretty excited to see what they do. And I think the two singles that they released from the new record are really, really good. Mm. They're both really, really good. And I think if you go back one, I remember, again, when I was on Team Rock Radio, Ain't It Fun came out from the self-titled Paramore album. <coughs> and I was like, oh, do we have to play Paramore? And then I was like, I mean, this is a really good song. Yeah. It felt really poppy in comparison with a lot of the stuff that we were playing on the radio at the time on that station. But undoubtedly, by the sort of fifth, sixth day of hearing it kind of every single morning, I was like, this is a wicked song. And yeah. this is probably even poppier Hard Times. It's full-blown pop i i like it i like it a lot sam what can i say i like it a lot i think i'm going to try and get down to one of those paramore songs uh songs uh, shows just go to one of the songs go to one of the songs um and this would be the song yes obviously what i would go to yeah clearly clearly uh, stephen hill continues his descent into patrick bateman it's great yeah it's really good so there you go hard times by Paramore, I have fucking... And the video is wicked as well. Video is really, really good. It's a bit like sort of Take On Me Ooh, done by lovely. Disney. So <laughs> I like the, the video is really good as well. Uh, yeah, go and listen to it if you haven't. And if you have, then you can just agree with me, I reckon. You're better um, It's fucking yeah, yeah. yeah, it's very good. Um, Sam, you picked Nudge It by Sleaford Mods. Yeah. So um, speaking of bands that I've not really got on with, um, I mean, I'd be curious to see what your kind of relationship with Sleaford Mods is. They're a band who I think on paper should represent something that I really, really enjoy, which is that kind of quite sparse, electronic, socially conscious and quite biting, um, almost spoken word post-punky type thing. They're, they're a weird amalgam of a lot of things that I like. But I've never liked Sleaford Mods, and I've tried. I've tried with so much of their stuff because, you know, I see the critical acclaim they get um, and the artists that particularly Jason Williamson has worked with. You know, he's done songs with The Bug. They did a song on, um, I think it was Ibiza. They did on The Day Is My Enemy, but yeah, The Prodigy. Um, so They were on that last Leftfield album before... I forgot what it was called now, but we reviewed Leftfield last week and the one before that, they were on that as well. Okay, the the one I have not yet... <laughs> I am yet to hear mm-hmm. then because I've listened to the first two at this point. Um but yeah, everything about Sleaford Mods should be an absolute slam dunk for me. And I just don't like them. I really, really respect and admire them, but I don't like them apart from this song. I think this is far and away my favourite Sleaford Mods song because it is just an absolute rager. And I think the kind of understated performance that you get from Jason Williamson on it, that drawling, sneering, but coming from a kind of, I don't know, quite righteously indignant place, it just sounds amazing. 
Um, it's so hooky though. You just a mind that's praying and saying so dull. It's brilliant. The, the the way he kind of drifts into the lines, particularly the finale um, where he's joined by Amy Taylor from Amil and the Sniffers, uh, with the stood outside and I rise trying to act like a gangster. It's just it's all a bit lilting and a bit weird and a bit off key. I just think it's a really really powerful track and a really strong one. But it does highlight my issue with Sleaford Mods, which is I think that the intention behind their music speaks to me a lot more than their music itself, bar this song. So the description from the YouTube video for this, the kind of mission statement for what Nudger is, is imagine you've got limited options, unsure how you're going to get by that week, looking out the window of the damp flat you don't want to live in and seeing a bunch of posers having a photo shoot because cool architecture, bro, we feel your pain. Reduce circumstances into pantomime. If you haven't lived within the, its confines, don't use it to enamour your ideas. It confuses the platform for those that truly live it and more often than not buries creative breakthroughs because the arena is polluted by the view of their world through someone else's privileged lens. So be aware the eager networkers. Don't settle for the 20p payout. Nudge it. Pop the poses and don't apologise for the fucker either. Now that is so much better than everything else I've heard from Sleaford Mods just as a piece of prose. This is the one song I think where they really nail what I want from them. How do you feel about Sleaford Mods and this song, Steve? I've not paid loads and loads of attention to Sleaford Mods in general, really. I think um, so. This is from Spare Rib from 2021, the it, album. It is, yes, came out on January 15th, 2021. And um, I remember it getting absolutely just praised to high heavens by the Quietus in yeah. particular. You know, I mean, critically acclaimed across the board, but especially John Doran at the Quietus, you know, just basically calling it the best thing since sliced bread i uh the only song of those i really know was from their album english tapas which came out in 2017 bhs which was on six music a lot right and i remember the first time i heard it i was like oh what is this i don't really know what's going on here mm. and then the more it got played the more i was like i actually quite like this but sleeford mods are a weird band i think because they're very mouthy and yeah. they're obviously, you know, they have a set purpose as a band in the same way as somebody like, I don't know, Rage Against the Machine or, you know, we'll talk about the MC5 in a little bit. Mm. The MC5 do as well, right? Um, they deliver it with a pretty intense level of aggression in terms of what the message is and how hard they hammer it home. I've always thought that the music itself seems a bit thin in comparison. Yes, to the message and I would kind of like them to amp that up a bit if they're going to be that angry but you know it's fine that's probably a stylistic decision so I've never really gone mad on Sleaford Mods and I can't say that I know loads and loads and loads of their songs but this is pretty good this mm. I think this is pretty good this has got a very good beat without wanting to sound like a you know a <laughs> an radio old man Luxembourg DJ um, <laughs> it's got a kind of elasticated beat and some quite melancholic almost Cure-esque soundscape surrounding the background of it so it sort of manages to sit somewhere in between streetsy bedroom post hip-hop and melancholic post-punk um those two things melded together musically i think actually one of the few times i've heard a sleeve of mod song and thought this is actually compositionally a bit of me mm. um and then you get your man jason williamson over the top and he has always been a bit like I think he's got an incredibly he's got divisive ideas and a divisive personality. He's got quite a divisive voice to go alongside it as well. I yes. think people are either gonna fucking hate his voice or they're gonna love it. Mm. He's ranting over the top of this, but he's not ranting to the point where I think he can almost sound a bit cartoony sometimes in some of the songs that I've heard of theirs. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the following song on Spare Ribs, Elocution, which, um, again, I think makes an interesting point about the kind of gentrification of independent venues. But it starts off with him doing a, a comedy sort of posh person voice, and it's like, it, it undermines what I think they're aiming for for me, which is why this is the one song I particularly go for. I completely agree that there is a, a cartoonish kind of buffoonery almost to it that I think maybe obscures the, the impact a little. Mm, yeah, I think fact. so a little bit, um, but you know, but I actually do quite like this. I think you know, it's good. I think when uh, did you say Anna? Is uh, Amy, Amy uh, Taylor, Amy from uh, from I'm on the Sniffers. When uh, when she comes in, I mm. think that really elevates the song. I mean, she's got such a kind of infectious positivity with that kind of snarling pub rock punk thing that I think it's a really good counterpart to what Jason Williamson is doing, which, as you say, is quite a kind of I don't know ranty performance. But it is good. Mm. You know, it is good. It, it didn't make me immediately go, oh, I must go and listen to loads and loads of sleep of mods. No. But I think it's pretty good. It's probably not, well, at the moment, because I haven't listened to it as much, but I still, I actually do prefer BHS, which <laughs> is a really daft song, to be fair. <laughs> like, in terms of the way it sounds, like they probably would think that's hugely offensive for me calling it daft, um, when there's probably a, well, there is, a, you know, a very poignant political point they're trying to make with it but it does just sound a bit like i don't know a little bit kind of cartoonish but i you know look i don't mind that and i think sleeve of mods are, are are pretty good i think they're kind of they're pretty horrible and they're pretty harsh to some of the bands who i think they are inferior to like you know they're not very nice about idols are they they're and, really not no and i think you know with idols they see them um rightly or wrongly i don't know enough about idols backgrounds uh but they see them as this kind of uh class tourist thing that they are you know directly referencing in this song i mean i believe um just thinking about it that i think when nudget came out it was kind of basically they were sort of targeting idols on their social media with the promotion of it i may may be wrong on that but i feel like this was one of the ones where that whole kind of feud well one-sided feud reared its reared its head again yeah it's a bit childish that I think mm-hmm. to sort of go. Oh, you're not a real, but because idols make sorry excellent music. Mods. I think I <laughs> excellent music they just do. But yeah, this is pretty good. Nudge it by Sleep of Mods. Pretty, pretty good. I would say. Um, before we go on, we uh, there's not much news, but I think we do need to mention this very very briefly because we had quite a long chat before the start of the year. We woke up this morning to to learn of the news that um, Jeff Beck, who is without question considered one of the greatest guitarists mm. in the history of british well maybe not in british just music uh, has passed away at the age of 78 um you know formerly of the yardbirds where we replaced eric clapton he's from that school of those bands the clapton um jimmy page and himself i guess he, i don't think keith richards is considered as good a guitarist or anything do you know but uh, but um yeah, then going on to work with Jeff Beck Group, obviously, and with Rod Stewart. You know, he is someone who has written and performed some of the most famous and iconic guitar parts from the 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 birth and the most sort of imp- important part of rock and roll formulating in this this country. So it's a it's a huge huge deal. Jeff Beck passing away. I again, as I sort of said probably even even more so than what I said with Maxi Jazz last week. I couldn't sit here and tell you every 
everything that Jeff Beck has played on and all of the various things that he's done throughout his career. He's just been a name that has always been there. Every time you hear someone talk about great guitarists mm. or influential guitarists or guitarists who kind of changed the perception of what it meant to be a good guitarist, Jeff Beck is one of the people who get mentioned. And I think, you know, uh, the amount of people from Ronnie Wood to Jimmy Page to... Um, to uh to rod stewart who have put tributes up about him in the you know the few hours since we learned about this sort of says it all really doesn't it yeah i mean i can't profess to know very much at all much to my shame about um jeff beck uh beyond just the kind of stature of his influence and yeah as you say the 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 breadth of um tributes that are pouring out you know i've seen um alongside all the you know kind of now legendary musicians who um cite him as an influence and have been paying their respects um i've seen so many of my friends who run a whole kind of the whole <laughs> gamut of of age you know i've got kind of mates who are i mean a couple of decades your senior steve who are saying that jeff beck was formative for them and then i've got friends who are basically my age who are just as um taken by his recorded output um i wish i knew more uh so i could I don't know, sort of say with some sincerity quite how his music made me feel. I don't know, but I know that a lot of the music that I love does not does not exist in the way that it does without Jeff Beck's um quite pioneering work and 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 technique as well. So, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Mick Jagger shared a video, The Edge called him punk rock before punk rock existed. Uh Ozzy Osbourne said it was a sh an, an honor to have known and played with him who appeared on the last Ozzy Osbourne album. He's just finished an album by all accounts with uh, with Johnny Depp, which is going to yeah. be coming out posthumously, I believe. Um, the Brian May from Queen um, called him the pinnacle of guitar playing. Kiss is uh, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. I said it's heartbreaking and he, he blazed an impossible trail to follow, play on now and forever. Uh, you know, massive, massive names. Alice Cooper, Clapton, you know, loads, as I said, loads and loads of people have, have um, paid tribute to Jeff Beck. And I thought it's obviously worth us mentioning it here. If you want to hear someone who is much more, um, uh, I guess, sort of emotionally attached to Jeff Beck. If you go back to our sort of our, our mates's 2022 review, Dewsbury has a great story about going to see Jeff Beck and, you know, like he says it's his favorite gig of the year. And uh, that's on that podcast that we did right at the start of December I believe so if you can go back and um, hear us talk more about Jeff Beck but yeah definitely a legend um, so rest in peace to him and uh, before we get into what we're doing I want to talk about the 1975 quickly Sam of course you do because I went to see them the other day and the Bournemouth International Centre first things first Bournemouth International Centre has not changed a bit <laughs> since I last went there to see the first gig I ever went to which was Madness at the Bournemouth International Centre in December 1995, all those years ago. Ah, oh, halcyon days. And it looks exactly the same. Never changed the carpet or anything, which I was delighted about. Don't need to. Slightly, slightly different crowd, to be fair, than <laughs> a madness crowd from 1995. Um, so 1975, 1975 at their very best tour. Essentially, what we got was two sets. Uh, from the 1975 being funny in a foreign language played in its entirety in a i would say kind of stop making sense esque um i guess kind of theatrical 
art installation project. Ooh, that sounds interesting. And then we got the At Their Very Best set, which is a kind of, you know, a, a greatest hit set mm. of 11 songs after, you know, we'd seen the album in its entirety. So here's the thing, right? So me and my girlfriend went and she liked it, but she was a bit like, she was like, I didn't feel like I was at a, at a gig for the first half of it mm. because there was a lot of like pissing about and weird shit and like i say it's this kind of conceptual idea that we are watching the 1975 in matty healy's flat so you might have seen some of the bits and bobs where they are set up in a flat and one by one they come in they turn the lights on of the flat and they walk in and it's sort of meant to be like oh you're not watching a gig you're just watching us sort of at home on our own and blah 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 now she was like some of this stuff it's a good idea and it looked amazing i mean it, it did look conceptually i thought it looked fucking amazing and mm -hmm. the way that they walked on and there were screens either side and it had like it was all sort of filmed live in front of you and when each member walked in and walked up to the, it would have on the screen like starring the 1975 at the very best starring you know and it'd have the the name of each band member coming up and i thought that was really cool the way they kind of started up and each one sort of picked up an instrument bit by bit and started to tinker in on it and then they went into and matt healy was lying on his sofa asleep and then he just sort of sat up and you're like oh he's there the whole time he's been there and um i thought the way they started with the 1975 mm. being funny in a foreign language into looking for somebody to love what was fucking great it was so good and then you get happiness part of the band so they didn't actually play the album in its um it's not in they, its they entirety the album, is it they played it in its entirety yeah. sort of but they didn't play it in order mm -hmm. if you know what i mean so um you know it was uh it was you, you did which i thought was good right because the thing is is that you know i was saying because my girlfriend was like oh, i was a little bit pretentious some of it wasn't it and i was like well i think you know she's like a little bit indulgent and i was like well i think if you were playing an album which let's not forget that album's only been out three months two and a half months yeah it was, like that. It in October. it was in september it was when uh, when we had Merkage dave on wasn't it but it's not been out long yeah. regardless so yeah um yeah, mm. it's, oh no, I suppose it would have been October. Yes, sorry, it's I'm October. Definitely getting yeah. my dates meet up. Yeah, yeah, it's really so, not been out. So it's only been out a couple. It's like it's only been out a couple of months. It feels like it's been out longer than that. Maybe because I've listened to it loads and loads and loads and loads. Mm. But it feels like it's been out longer than that. And um, I, I think if you are going right, we're going out on tour. We're going to play our brand new album in its entirety at the start. That already is a fairly kind of pretentious, not pretentious, but like that's a fairly kind of. Um, sort of self-absorbed thing to do bands who do that like i saw, i remember seeing will haven doing their new album uh voir or whatever it's called when it came out in 2012 and they just you know it only been a few months and they played it in full and they just walked out and played it in full in its entirety and then went oh and here's three songs from whvn and one from el diablo at the end and you're like hey, this is good but you're letting a lot of fucking songs go do you mm. know what i mean and so i think you're already sort of like you know when i made and played a matter of life and death in full just after it came out yeah and it's like nah and they're saying that like they might be playing this new one 
in full like i, I think they might have flip-flopped on that i don't know but they yeah, were saying oh yeah. we might go for some smaller venues and give the, the real fans and jutsu full. it's like no you just wouldn't sell out big venues if you're doing that would you so but yeah. Um, but yeah it broadly i think it is a very indulgent thing to do um yeah like you say especially if the album's only been out what two and a bit months like but yeah i i think it's uh I think it's a, a weird thing to do. So I think the 1975 going, well, we're going to do that. They're already doing something which you go, well, that's a little bit kind of self-absorbed. But if you are going to do that, you might as well go the fucking whole hog and mm. do something a bit and do something a bit weird with it, which is what they did. Now, before they played All I Need to Hear, um, Matty Healy went, you know, is this real? You know, it's funny, isn't it? Because are we playing this live or are we playing anything? You know, if we've set this up like it's our real lives... How, are we just acting at being our real lives or is it our real lives how good are we as actors and they started playing the song and then he went oh hold on stop 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 i've like I've, I've messed up i've messed up and then all these kind of crew members came out and reset and they went they got the, like the megaphone they're like okay reset from that and they kind of took the clipper and stuff like it was a film yeah and some people going oh my god they fucked up they and i was like no 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 this is piece this is part of it yeah. this is part of it and the thing is is that all that stuff was cool you know he um uh he gets up on the roof he you know sits on you've probably seen him like smoking and putting his hands down his trousers on the sofa and people were sort of like and the shit where he's eating raw meat he didn't eat raw meat he's doing the press-ups and he jumped through the telly at the end as well and you've probably seen in the news him doing all that stuff oh yeah the raw meat and it's like that's actually part of that's supposed to mean something mm. right now i don't really know what it means and it may meant that the sort of the flow of the show was quite so, stop starty and it didn't become like a kind of dance party until they went off and came back on again i don't think i just want to be clear i don't think the 1975 need to do that they don't need to do that it's interesting that if you are going to play your brand new album in full that you choose to do something like that and you choose to go right this is kind of this is the new album and it's a conceptual idea of that album mm. brought to life you know i think that's kind of that sort of helps if they'd have just done that and come back on and gone hey here's three more songs as a, an encore and then gone again i would have been like yeah do you know i think i probably would have liked some sort of greatest hit set but they didn't so when they came back out they stripped the stage um, they came all out in suits and they just played, like I said, they played a 13 set, sorry, an 11 set. Uh, they played 13 songs in the first set. So they did play a couple of other songs in amongst the material from um, Being Funny in a Foreign Language. But then they played like a kind of 11 song greatest hits set. And it was completely different. So everyone was jumping up and down and it just felt like a rock show. Mm. So you, so they did get to have their cake and eat it. Now I don't think they need to do the first stuff. They don't need to, because those songs on that album is really, really strong. And if you just wanted to go to a gig, I think my girlfriend was like, oh, I'm stood up, I'm wearing heels. I'm feeling a bit like, like, come on, play a fucking song. that's going to make people. And then she was like, and then they came out and it was like, and you know, the first song they played on the second half of the set they came out and did if you're too shy let me know oh. which obviously was the absolute highlight of the night for me i think <laughs> that might be the best pop song since like like a prayer by madonna right it is fucking amazing that song and the live version of it was brilliant hearing seeing that sax solo done live it was great because like the guy playing the sax was outside and then <laughs> matt Healy went up to the door opened the door and he came running in <laughs> 
no. But it was it was wicked. It was wicked. And you know, looking through that that second set, if you're too shy, uh, two time, two time, two time. It's not living if it's not with you. Change your heart. Uh, robbers, somebody else. I always want to die. Sometimes love it if we love it if we made it. it was fucking brilliant. And that's the one time where Matt Healy went from. Um, where he actually sounded like an angry, an angry man. He was like roaring the shit out of that. Mm-hmm. The sound, sex, give yourself a try. Really, really, really strong. Like really, really strong set list. Obviously, I didn't play Chocolate, which is a bit of a bummer. Um, but I thought they were brilliant. And the thing is, Matt Healy was glugging wine, staggering around like he was pissed, fiddling with himself, chain smoking, um doing all this like oh i'm such a sort of tortured artist thing you know he's sort of dressing like lou reed his hair's sort of everywhere he's sort of you get the impression that in the exterior he thinks he's lou reed or mm. tom waits or nick cave or david byrne or do you know what i mean yeah. um or morrissey or someone like that but really while i was watching that and i was like mate you're just Huey Lewis in the news. Like, you're <laughs> Simon Le Bon. Like, that's what you are, really. Because, you know, those songs are fucking amazing pop songs. And ultimately, I think, and I said this at the time to my girlfriend, like, these sort of shows live and die on the strength of the material that you get with it. Mm. If you're going to play your brand new album in its entirety, A, you better have a fucking brilliant brand new album. Um, and if you're going to do all this other extra kind of extracurricular stuff amongst it, when you do go into songs, you better go into a really, 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 really great song. I thought both sets were great. There's absolutely no denying whatsoever that the 1975 at their very best second half of the set seemed to grab people. People were having a much better time mm. doing that. I don't know if that's because the new material, they were less familiar with the new material, um, which was not a problem for me because really that's the album that, you know, it's only been since Reading that I've really paid a lot, a lot, a lot of attention to the 1975. Like there's a bunch of songs like, you know, Love It If We Made It and It's Not Living If It's Not With You that I I already knew from prior to seeing the 1975 at Reading. But I've only really kind of gone properly gone back to them and listened to them a lot since then. So really, the new album is the stuff I was like, oh, I'm really looking forward to hearing all the stuff from that new album. And yeah, you know, like now I've listened to them more. I do actually like, you know, the majority of the stuff that they played from, I mean, particularly the first two albums, I, I, I think, I think I sort of said it before. I do actually like it when they just get a bit more straightforward. And most of the songs they played on that second set were a lot more straightforward and i think they're just a really really good really good pop band i think matty healy's got a great voice and he's a really really good front man he's actually very funny as well um he's a provocateur no no doubt about it he is absolutely a provocateur um but i i don't think he's as good a provocateur as he is <laughs> as he thinks a pop he star. Is, maybe as well he's a much better pop star yeah, he's a much yeah. better just pop star than he is a, a sort of tortured artist yeah. and so i kind of appreciated that first set for being like oh this is not some you know a bit like the kendrick lamar show mm. but not like the kendrick lamar show because i thought kendrick lamar he never let the pace drop at all where there are a few bits in the 1975 show where i was like he's just doing push-ups in front of a load of tellies that are showing like clips of joe biden and jordan peterson and loads of feedback and i was like I don't Ooh, know satire oh gosh well done mm. yeah so i was like i, I don't really know what he's trying to say or what mm. this is about whereas i kind of felt like i everything made sense when you watched kendrick lamar whereas not everything made sense with the 1975 i think there's a lot of like 
oh, if we do that, then they got it. And I think, you know, when you're stopping a song halfway through a song and then having a couple of minutes of fuffing around and then you start it up again, that is going to kill momentum. Whether you, whether you think it's a really clever arch mm. sort of, you know, piece of performance art or, or what, it's still going to drag the the the... It's still going to drag things down a little bit. It's a good idea on paper. It's a co- cool idea, but it's um probably a little bit of a different, difficult, not different, a, a difficult thing to pull off. Yeah, I would, I would say maybe something that needs workshopping a bit. Um, but I mean, it do, yeah, it does sound a really, really intriguing show. Um, even if it wasn't always captivating and always absolutely brilliant all the way through. But um, yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, they. There's nothing wrong with being a brilliant pop band, Matt Healy. You don't have to be, as you say, Steve. Like I think he wants to wants to maybe be this tortured artist at the kind of, not necessarily at the um, behest of being a pop star, but like just be a pop star, mate. You've got good enough music taste. Although I do notice you read in through the set list, they didn't do their uh, their cover of Wolverine Blues. So poser, isn't it? <laughs> mm. What's quite funny is. Uh... I'm going to see Trivium on Sunday, so I'll Ooh. see Matt Healy and then Matt Heafy. Oh, Let's hope gosh. I don't get them mixed up, eh? <laughs> Never seen him in the same room, <laughs> though. Imagine. Never seen him in the same room. Um, but look, it was great. And to be fair, right, they're interesting. Mm. 1975 are interesting. You can go, oh, you don't need to do this. You can don't need to do that. They are not a boring, faceless band. Like, there's loads of shit going on absolutely loads of shit going on and even when you don't understand it like when you said like oh you know maybe it wasn't engaging all the way through i actually thought it was always engaging it just maybe wasn't always necessarily like a big party okay. which i think is what the night where the 1975 sort of excel mm. you know um but then it's funny and as good as as good as the stuff was when they were sort of let's call it faffing around for even though i think that's a bit harsh when they come out and they did if you're too shy let me know it's like okay this is this is better, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean, like yeah. this is way more fun. It is better. I uh, like it's that. That's what you kind of go to uh, and kind of want from a gig, I think, broadly. Um, but it's always interesting to see that extra stuff, and it just makes them a much more interesting band. And again, I'm going to say it again, a lot of bands would have played that album in full, would have done their fucking weird thing, and they would have gone, "Cool, we're going to give you like two songs as a little treat at the end as an encore." Thanks for coming to see us do our new album in full. We really, really liked it. Fuck you if you didn't hit, but here's two songs and they did 11. I mean, fair play to them, fair play to them. Um, I mean, that's great. Yeah, having the balance of the kind of uh, the artistry they want to express and then almost the kind of concession of just like, here are some fucking bangers for you to all just absolutely lose your minds to. That's great. But actually, it's funny that um, we should be talking about this today uh, because today... um, like obviously, we don't do like album announcement news or anything, but I think there's a point of comparison here where um, Enchikari have just announced their new album. That's not the important bit, but they are doing, um, rather than a kind of straight UK tour, they're doing a, a, a kind of um, abridged residency kind of thing where they're just playing five cities, five venues over three months, and they're just playing each of them once, but it's basically like um, exactly a month apart over three months to try and do something different. And I thought... Rao's comments there probably chime with what Matt Healy is thinking, which is like anyone can go out and do a show these days. And I think with the amount you have to spend to go to them, you kind of expect something a bit, not even expect, but you kind of need something a bit more to be getting people out at the house at times. So I think, you know, Mm. I could see why they're experimenting with this stuff and I'd be very interested to see how they take it further. And 
uh, well, and all bands who can afford to do so generally. I mean, to be fair, I don't necessarily want the kind of narrative concept from a sick of it all show, but you know, anyone else, fair enough. So, yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, I they're playing. I mean, if you, as we record, they're playing tonight and tomorrow at the O two. I would love to see it again because mm. it was great, and it, it's one of those things you think, well, maybe it'd be, maybe kind of. Um, multiple viewings would re- sort of more of it would be revealed i almost felt like i, sh- I wanted to be sat down because i stand in t- yeah. I like i want to be sat down for the first bit and then stood up for the second bit it sounds like that would have made more sense so in terms yeah. of kind of what they wanted but then that would be a lot of fold away chairs they'd have to get pack away for the second Stop half Stop making sense oh uh, anyway um <coughs> excuse me they were good they're really great i thought it was really really great overall really really great just the songs themselves fucking great mm. uh, i really like the 1975 now i'm a fan um so like you say let's get on to the crux of it this is gonna be quite a long podcast i reckon so let's get going now this is the day today this show was released is the anniversary of the recording of the classic live album John- johnny cash at Fulton prison so we decided to try and get to the bottom of what is the finest live album of all time and we're going to be doing that in tournament format firstly before we get into the uh the first round sam what in your mind makes a great live album would you say Ooh, um so i think capturing a a particularly pivotal moment in time for an artist um and capturing the kind of expression that you sometimes maybe lack on studio lps so i think you know, there's, there's, there's a story about Metallica getting in with Bob Rock where it's like, okay, you guys are not writing amazing music, but when you're playing live, that's where it comes through and you haven't captured that on record yet. So I think a good live album does actually transport you to to a show, whether you've seen the artist before or not. I also think um, being able to kind of hear and feel the performance, um, which is something we'll get into, well, certainly in, in a lot of these kind of, um, these matchups and stuff like that, being able to hear the passion um, with which the, the the performance playing and even the way they kind of feed off the audience that whether you can hear them or not. So that's really important. And then for me, it's doing something a bit different that justifies it as a live album, as opposed to just live versions of um, songs that you already have the LP of. So like um, one of my favorite live DVDs uh, would be In America by Rammstein, but it's like, but I'm not going to suggest that as a live album because it sounds like Rammstein. It doesn't work without the visuals, whereas a live album, just the CD, just the audio format, I think it has to distinguish itself from those studio counterparts because otherwise what's the yeah. point? I don't need an Opeth live album, for example. I've already got the CDs. No. So that would be my kind of criteria. It's got to be a distinct thing that I think, yeah, is a snapshot of a band at a particular moment in time that's pivotal that communicates the live energy that they were putting across how about yourself perfectly put i mean yes i think the one-off event of it we did try and pick all albums that took place during one gig although that proved to be quite impossible um because the reception that so many albums and so many albums that are considered classic live albums are recorded over multiple nights but usually on one tour like you say you want to get the band at the peak of their powers or an important moment in their career i think the set list makes a huge difference yeah, as well yeah, yeah. i think there are ones that we might talk about where we go it's actually quite a lot lacking from the set list from now what we know about this band i think you kind of want as close to the very very best set list as you can get i think you know the sound the feel the atmosphere of the record 
depending on what kind of band you are are you capturing like i say the 1975 doing that record live i'd be interested to see how that would work as a live album i'm not really sure that it would i feel like in comparison with that would that would mean to be a dvd i think from what you were saying about yeah. that side of being funny in foreign language sorry go on yeah and um and also you know can you hear a changed elongated or adapted definitive version mm. of of a certain song because i think there are songs here where that we're going to talk about where the versions that you hear on these live albums have become the definitive versions yeah. of that there's more than a few of them on here so yeah um also we wanted to pick albums that were released kind of just after the event so they kind of came out and they've you know here's the band they've just played live and now here's the record um and get rid of ones that were released a long time afterwards like for example the clash life maternity um we didn't put that in oasis live at nebworth legendary gig mm. was only commercially available a few years ago um but it got knocked out actually, in the first round anyway so yeah well yeah, not um <laughs> we we didn't actually stick to that rule to be honest because there are a few that were just undeniable so we've got 30 live albums that are from your suggestions from the broader sense of what is considered a true classic live album um and sam and i have also picked a couple of wild card picks each from our own personal favorites which meant one each there are 32 albums that were put into a hat and plucked out to face off against each other now there is no hard and fast rule as to how these go through i cannot believe bonjour's waited until we're just about to start this to, <laughs> to go to the toilet oh um there's no hard and fast rule as to how these go through if we agree and it's clear uh then it's clear if you who have voted over our twitter over the last 24 hours we put all of the ties up on twitter for the first round if you have massively voted in favor of an album that sam and i are in disagreement about we might just bow to popular opinion um or we might pull rank and say you know what actually, <laughs> you're sorry, wrong guys, you got that wrong but we will be as fair and measured as we possibly can be so let's go with the first round Oof. starting with a big tie between kick out the jams by mc5 and aretha franklin live at fillmore west now i'm going to try and make the case for either album and then we'll debate it so kick out the jams a debut album, mm. a live debut album. Kick out the jams, motherfuckers. This is a classic in many, many ways. It's the first ever MC5 release, recorded across two nights in Detroit in 1968 and released in 1969. Hugely, hugely influential. I mean, I think that song, Kick Out the Jams, the title track, is the song that they are most well known for. Mm -hmm. And this version of it is still, I would say, like the very very best version that anyone's ever done of it i include the, your monster magnets and radiance machines and in tombs and whoever else in there um this is a, a a fucking great record and i think kind of rightly considered the definitive mc5 album full stop mm, i i i would agree um i mean doesn't quite well it doesn't immediately kick off with it i mean you know i was listening to the original version which does start with rambling rose but when you get kick out the jams motherfuckers i mean you could tell whether you were at that gig or putting that lp on for the first time as it was released i mean it's like well that's baked into 
into music history now, isn't it? That is a definitive statement that will stand the test of time. It is hard to deny the electricity that just absolutely courses through every single moment of this album. It is staggeringly brilliant. And, you know, it shows a band at the bleeding edge of confrontational rock music, well, defining it. The confrontational proto punk, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It punk before punk. This is 1968, before even before the Stooges, right? Like mm. and and like that kind of proto punk feel of it is is so great. And it's got songs in it like "Come Together," "Motor City Is Burning," you know, with that intro of "This Is the High Society." You can just <laughs> hear like the chaos before the song even kicks in. Yeah, like it's it's fucking amazing this record it's amazing uh, it, it really is and rob tyner's uh vocals are just oh, spellbindingly ferocious mm. it is absolutely amazing the idea that this was 1968 it's like fuck me i didn't realize people got that angry back then i thought it was the type of free love but yeah um it's yeah it, it's a corker it is a corker and it is going to be taking on Aretha Franklin live at Fillmore West, the 1971 album, um, a recording of the Queen of Soul show at the Fillmore West in San Francisco over a three night period in 1971. I think that this record is amazing. I love Aretha, Aretha Franklin, but I will say this, right? This is missing a lot of classic Aretha Franklin material. Say a little prayer. You make me feel like a natural woman. Uh, you know, I could go on. Um, obviously, there's New You're Waiting. She did with George Michael. You wouldn't expect to hear that from 1971. <laughs> but, you know, that there's a, there's a fair bit of stuff of, of like big songs of, of hers on here, um, you know, uh, that, that are not present. You know, there are songs on here that are that are not present. Think is not on here, right? Um, instead, you get a few covers, Bridge Over Troubled Water, mm -hmm. a brilliantly unrecognisable version of Eleanor Rigby by the oh Beatles, which I think is God, absolutely yeah. wicked. Um, but she is amazing, obviously. She has recently been voted by Rolling Stone. I know a lot of people got annoyed at this. <laughs> Top 500 singers ever, but Aretha Franklin at number one. You can't really argue with that. Um, you know, love the, the, that version of Love the One You're With mm. is amazing you've got ray charles coming out for the reprise of um spirit in the dark as a document of like this incredible singer <sighs> over 10 tracks it's pretty hard to argue that this isn't a that this isn't worthy of being in this 32 oh god no, there are there are much much worse live albums that we're going to be talking about and i don't think there's anything in here that's you know, not pushing kind of, I don't know, a seven at the very, very least. You know, this is a strong 32 that we've got here. Um, I mean, it's Aretha in it, mate. The the thing for me, so talking about kind of hearing the, um, some sometimes I think with live albums, you know, is about the energy that you can feel kind of coursing kind of inaudibly between the audience and the performer. I mean, here, when respect starts you can hear her beaming out those words like it's just so radiantly joyous it's so infectiously fun you know as you say the queen of soul more, more than earning that title here yeah there is some stuff missing maybe there's a little bit too much emphasis on covers but then i guess that was you know that was the kind of done thing in the well, era did, and, yeah. cer and certainly in the genre in which um aretha kind of made her name um but when you've got a cover that's a staggeringly brilliant a reinterpretation as eleanor rigby on here i mean i'm, I'm take that godhead yeah <laughs> fucking <laughs> fucking godhead um yeah uh it, it, it's very hard to argue guys this is 
we are starting with a really fucking tough draw, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's really tough because I would say, who am I more of a fan of in general? Because she was one of my mum's favourites, Aretha Franklin. Mm. I am more of a fan of Aretha Franklin overall than I am MC5. There's loads of Aretha Franklin albums and loads of Aretha Franklin songs and compilations that you could get. This is just one of many, many great ones. Kick Out The Jams is is the essential MC5 thing. Um, on Twitter, we had the vote, 201 votes. This is how tight it was. 50.7% of people voted for MC5. Fuck so 49.3. That is... Uh, that's uh, closer than Brexit. Yes, absolutely. That is. And more important than Brexit. And way more important. Yeah. Um, so the MC5 just nudged it. And I think I would agree with our listeners and our uh, people that got involved in that. I would agree that as much as I love Aretha Franklin, mm. I think the MC5, because of how definitive it is to them and definitive it is to that particular genre of music, I would just just by the thinnest of margins go for the mc5 on this one i found this really really difficult to choose between um i think i do prefer the unbridled joy we get from aretha's performance over mc5's snarl but i I can't not pick kick out the jams for this one so yeah full house on that one i reckon yeah okay so mc5's kick out the jams go through to the quarterfinals and for the next round this should be a little bit more cut and dried i would say uh (laughs) this is the easiest we have yeah we have snm by metallica versus bullet in a bible by green day so metallica snm metallica with michael kamen the san francisco symphony orchestra way back in 1999 this is an event this is a unique one off or well, over two nights and then another two, you know, 30 years later, 20 years later. But it's an event of Metallica doing something completely unlike anything they had done before. Basically in a period where they had, I, I still would say they had no bad material to kind of muddy the water at all. They could have gone for a few things from Reload and, you know, not everything on Load is absolutely amazing, but they, they steered clear of all that stuff. Yeah. It's got the definitive version of one of I of probably Metallica's best song of the nineties, maybe their one of their best ever songs ever, The Outlaw Torn. Mm. That is the the definitive version of that. Yeah. You've got two very good new songs, Minus Human and No Leaf Clover. Um Ooh, I wouldn't say Minus Human's very good, but we'll get to that, I think, when we're sort of Okay. Judging. Well, okay. you know, the fact they still bring out No, no Leaf Clover, Clover is yeah, fucking brilliant. Sometimes wrong, live anyway. And more importantly of all, you've got Jason Newstead's backing vocals. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. Yes, mate. So um, this feels like a very, very difficult record to beat. It really does. Um, y- this is uh, one of the first... I think this is my first experience of Metallica was this album. So back in the late 90s to early noughties when um, when DVD players were becoming commercially available, my mum was... Um, she was friends with a bloke who worked in a hi-fi shop, so occasionally he'd bring around sort of like extra speakers and, and a DVD <laughs> player and be like, oh, plug, plug that into telly. Let's do this. And he brought around a copy of S&M. And I remember the Call of Cthulhu coming in and being like, holy fucking shit. And, you know, that was the first time I'd heard that song, so I hadn't even heard the original. For me, there are a lot of definitive versions on here. Um, it is particularly the load stuff, I would say. Um, I mean, Hero of the Day sounds monstrous when they get to the 
the distorted sort of breakdown bit towards the end not really a breakdown but you know what i mean mm. um call of cthulhu i can never not hear it without the san francisco symphony orchestra even if i'm listening to ride the lightning i think the way it transitions and builds into master of puppets those soaring strings with the da, 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 it's oh my god wants me to makes me want to punch my head through a skyscraper but as you say Good. i mean the definitive version of the outlaw torn um i said to you when we were uh sort of picking the albums for this this is one obviously this had to go in obviously it did um the s&m version of the outlaw torn as we stand here today is is my favorite metallica song bar none i think it's absolutely amazing do you think the album may there are some songs on here that obviously they had to include I don't think work brilliantly as collaboration between the two parties. I don't think of Wolf and Man, much as I love it, I don't think it really benefits from the two of them working together. Got and any wolves out there? Ooh, yeah, Sorry. don't need that. Don't yeah. need that. Um, oh, I ne- never really got on with Minus Human. I think it's interesting more than it is good. No Leaf Clover is brilliant. Um, to be honest, it's most of the sort of the shorter, maybe maybe some of the faster songs as well. I don't think work with the the addition of the orchestra sad but true doesn't really change one when you get to the fast bit at the end i feel like the the trumpets over there before you get back to the or after the first solo it kind of obscures it a bit and i actually dislike this version of battery and for a long time battery is my favorite metallica song so it's not perfect i was gonna say like yeah. battery is a, is a is a bit of a weird one yeah it's a weird one it's a weird one to end on like it's weird mm. that that's the final song of the night. Uh, I mean, at least it wasn't Enter Sandman. Uh, but I guess you know that they they made yeah. up for that for the rest of time, haven't they? Ended with Enter Sandman. I pretty much, yeah. pretty much like uh, most of this. I would say. I would say most um, of this. I actually, yeah, yeah. Ble- bleeding me as well. Yeah. Fucking amazing. You know the master puppets after. I think as well the 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 big sing along to Memory Remains. Yeah, always again. brilliant probably better than the recorded version um oh but let's make the case so, for before we really go you can talk about some more i was gonna say like me he loves it before we go we've got to say it's james hetfield's best vocal performance as well isn't it snm mm, it is it's pretty good yeah it's pretty good it i'm is not willing to nail my colors to that particular mask but fine. fine but let's make the case for green day's bullet in the bible in a, in a bible right because a lot of people suggested this i mean it hadn't even really occurred to me i think i have listened to this once before but it's green day at their commercial peak at the milton Keynes bowl on the american idiot tour released in 2005 this is you know speaking sort of um without my own prejudices getting in the way, this is a pretty good time to mm. be going to watch Green Day, right? This is Green Day when they're as, as big as they ever might be. And this would be the time where you'd want to see them. This would be the time where they haven't, you know, if we say an American Idiot is a classic album, I don't think it is, but um, they, they've gone rapidly downhill since American Idiot. And there's nothing from those last few albums, well, I say few, Let's call it five last five <laughs> albums that you'd you'd want to you'd want to sit up six it's more than five last yeah. six yeah the last six green albums you don't really want or need anything from that so that doesn't exist good but even with all that material to pull from two songs from dookie mm. one song from insomniac loads of woo woo woos and the screaming does get a little bit much after a while i have to say you know there are points on this Long view, brain stew, hitching a ride is good. The opening of American Idiot, even though it's about a minute longer than it really needs to be. Green Day are a great live band, or they were 
particularly back in those days, you know, they were a great, great live band. They've always been considered a great, great, great live band. Um, I don't love this because I don't like enough of the songs. Quite how Jesus of Suburbia is nine minutes and 23 seconds long. <laughs> what are you thinking? But, you know, Minority is pretty good. Mm. There's, there's some stuff on it that doesn't really work, I don't think. I mean, that kind of King for a Day shout mashup, which is, again, nearly nine minutes. No, I think this is all right. I think this is all right. This has got some pretty exciting versions of some songs I like on it. Personally, I don't think it's as unique as S&M by Metallica. And it's just not as good. Either the track listing's nowhere near as good. Uh, but I can see why people would go, this is a very good snapshot of Green Day at the peak of their commercial powers. It, it absolutely is. And um, as someone who does have a lot of love for American Idiot, so for me, it is every Green... Well, not so much the debut, but from Kaplunk right through to American Idiot, I basically love everything Green Day did in that period. After that, yeah, everything else can fuck right off. But um, I do love all the material on this. I mean, I think probably the weakest moment for me is the King for a Day shout mashup. Um, but yeah, I struggle to struggle to say. So, you know, talking about nine minute songs, is Jesus of Suburbia better than Master of Puppets with the symphony orchestra? No, no. I mean, it's just, you know, track for track. It's it's hard to argue. Um, it's a good album. This is definitely on the weaker and it might be the weakest one we're talking about in this entire tournament, I would say. I actually don't think it is, to be honest. I actually don't think it is. There's only one album on here which I'm actively like, I'm not really sure I like this, but I think I know it's not this. I think I know which one it is because I think I agree. I think this yeah. this is yeah, it probably is better than than one we're getting to later, but uh yeah. this this is uh, weaker on, on the weekends, definitely. Um yeah, I, I mean. think it's one of the weaker ones, yeah, definitely. I only put it in because so many people suggested it. So um Did they then, follow through <laughs> on their votes? They didn't know. Eighty seven point six percent voted for Metallica, twelve point four percent voted for Green Day. This feels like a pretty easy one, so let's just move on. Metallica go through to face the MC five in the quarterfinals. Oof. Uh the next um tie we have is biffy clyro revolutions live at wembley versus my own personal wild card pick sick of it all live in a dive now again i probably didn't consider biffy clyro revolutions live at wembley but a lot of people suggested it and i owned this and i do think it's really really good so this mm. was released in 2011 the scottish rock band's first ever foray into the arenas with their wembley show on the 4th of december 2010 captured for posterity is this a classic live album you ask well i mean you've got a great set list with the band having just dropped their biggest album of their career any revolutions i mean you could say if you're going to see biffy clyro now you get black chandelier animal style cop syrup etc 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 this is a great set list all the same you get all oh, the stuff yeah. from Rev only revolutions you're getting all the stuff from um uh puzzle. from puzzle um and then bits and bobs from you know those those first three albums as well um they are also biffy clyro one of the best live bands around as i can attest to having seen them a bunch of times over the last few years and although i don't think it's a definitive version listening to their live version of living is a problem because everyone dies oh, is mate. absolutely exceptional that is really really amazing um yeah this is this is dead good this yeah 
it is absolutely dead good, as you say. I completely agree. Biff Clyro, one of the best live bands. Um, I've not been to loads of downloads, but I put them in my top three download headliners, main stage headliners that I've seen. I put them alongside Slipknot and Ramstein. Um, I thought they were fucking brilliant, and I, <laughs> if I can fucking get tickets in the UK, I will go and see them at every opportunity I can because they are absolutely brilliant. The set list on this mm. is fantastic. I mean, the final three, many of horror, glitter and trauma, and mountains, particularly mountains at that time before you know yeah. many in horror had really superseded it through X Factor and everything. I mean, mountains was the biggest song in kind of alternative guitar music, really. Well, certainly in the UK. I mean, you couldn't escape it on Kerrang TV for the the year or so prior to this gig um yeah it's very very strong indeed um and biffy clara wonderful band i mean opening with the captain fuck behave i mean fucking the captain boom blast and ruin 57 bubbles born the horse god and satan are the, the, the opening six that's songs. a run in it and then you get shit like you know that golden rule living is a problem shock shock folding stars I mean, even at the end, like, you know, Machines, Who's Got a Match, Saturday Superhouse, Many of Hot. I would say that last, that run of the last six. Yeah. is the Opening six and the closing six are fucking phenomenal. And they sound brilliant. Mm. They sound absolutely brilliant. I mean, yeah, like I say, is this Biffy at their absolute zenith? I mean, it's, it's close to it. I think you could kind of arguably say, you know, this is Biffy at their commercial zenith. I still, you know, obviously they went on to do, I saw the O2 recently. They, it's before they headlined Sonosphere, which then meant they could headline Reading and download yeah, more yeah, of the yeah, other festivals yeah. they do. So this is before they were kind of died in the wall, absolutely chewing festival headliner. Still, taking to arenas like A Fish to Water, I think mm. this is important. I, I, I'm glad a lot of people suggested it because it wasn't one that initially jumped out to me, but I think it, it is, it is a kind of modern classic live album. I think. I, I think so. I think <laughs> it's uh, very, very easy to make a case for that just on the strength of the songs. Let alone if you watch it with the DVD as well, the way they fucking mm. look, and you can you can you can hear how cool they look almost the way they kind of swagger through yeah. those songs. Yeah, brilliant. But it's coming up against my pick, "Live in a Dive" by Sick of It All. I love this album. It is one of the greatest hardcore bands, probably for my money, the the definitive classic sounding new york hardcore band at their absolute peak released in 2002 as part of the fat wreck series of live albums of the same name there's a bunch of live in the dives i think no effects did one alkaline trio did one a few other people did good few others as well this is amazing and this does something completely different to biffy live at wembley it captures sick of it all sounding their best right so sick of it all's albums are great but they mm. are a much better live band than they are on record. <coughs> I mean, would I turn around and say these are the definitive versions of these songs? I don't know if I would, but then I think they are definitely better versions because they're faster and they're heavier and they're more raucous. And you can hear, you know, Lou Collar's between song patter is amazing. Set list wise, it's 23 songs from the, you know, when they were still releasing brilliant albums this mm. comes up just after yours truly what else do i take to this maybe like take the night off or the road less traveled in, in terms of what they've released in the last 20 years both of those songs could start in here but i wouldn't take anything else to incorporate any of their newer stuff to be honest sick of it all at this point we're just releasing killer records and mm. these are all the best songs from the best records that they had i think this is amazing i am i i know this is a huge underdog 
but I think it's an amazing record all the same. It is an amazing record, and I think actually um, it's something that will come up again where it's it's not necessarily the definitive versions of these songs, but it's the definitive setting to hear them in with Sick of It All. I mean, Sick of It All work best live. I've not had the pleasure of seeing them live yet. Uh, go with Mel C at some point. I'll give her a give her a, a blow on the old horn. Ooh. Um, but yeah, when you I mean, you can't fuck with the the even heavier, meatier, weightier versions of like Scratch the Surface and fucking Step Down as the closer. I mean, yeah, this is absolutely brilliant. Um, it's it's the definitive sick of it all release, even if it isn't the definitive version of the songs that are on it, um, because they are just a band built to be live, aren't they? They just are. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is an underdog. Um, <laughs> and I think, uh, for my money, and I'd be interested to see which way the audience sways on this, I feel like it may be us versus them. I'm going to go with Sick of It All mm. because it is the... Defi- oh, I see what I did there. Yeah. Uh, it is the uh, definitive version of a band. Whereas I feel like Biffy, I think they have gone on to be bigger and better uh, just as a band. Um, but I don't think they've documented it well enough live. I think it's it's their best live album, but it's not Biffy at their best, whereas this is just Sick of It All at the absolute peak. So I'm going with Live in a Dive. Oh, good. I'm glad you are. Um, I obviously would pick Live in a Dive because it was my pick. Yeah. There's a bunch of things that if it got drawn against that, I would be like, okay, well, it, it can't go through against that. Mm. It can't because it's too important and da 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 da. I think Revolutions Live at Wembley is absolutely brilliant. Yes. But is it a gen- genuinely considered an important classic live album? Not really. It's not going to win this. No, it's got no chance of winning this, really, really. It's a bit of an outsider itself. Saying that, though, Sam, 71.9% of the votes went to... Why is my fucking thing... I'm not answering that. Um, (laughs) I'm not answering that. Uh, Mine just went off a minute ago as well. Sorry, go on. Yeah, 71.9% of the votes to 28.1% of the votes to Biffy Clyro over Sick of It All. No surprise um, there. They are a much bigger band. I think the one thing I would say as well is that I'm not sure many people have even heard this record mm. live in a dive. I'm not sure that many people have heard it. And I think it's it's a bit more niche, isn't it? Is, is this your nice way of saying that we're going to overrule the audience, the popular vote? Um, I feel like you're leading towards saying you haven't heard it so you can't choose you're wrong we're choosing it I think that might have played a big part in it but then also it's a much more niche type of music in general people might hear this and go so what I would say is that I mean this is sick of it all before they stopped releasing albums that were great Mm. uh, and they're very very good live Biffy carried on releasing good albums and then went on to be proper festival headliners and i think this captures a moment a bit like some of the others that we'll talk about where biffy clyro sort of established themselves as something special and i don't think sick of it all really have went on to establish themselves that this didn't really do anything for their career at all no and you know i think biffy at wembley and then we think we where they went i think it actually plays quite it shows that why they became such a big deal so I think they kind of have to go through, really. I'll, I'll allow. I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote against my own <laughs> your own pick. Pick, yeah. But I think it's the correct thing to do. 
But what I would say is you need to go and listen to Sick of It All Live at a dive if you haven't, because it's absolutely amazing. It really, really is. Uh, yeah, mm. uh, yeah, Biffy probably should go through. Even I prefer Live at a Dive, but I think, yeah, it's probably, too. probably objectively the less good. I'm going to let the audience have get the okay on that. Um, because you're not getting another to... one later. <laughs> no, because um, you will have to now uh, go up against Biffy. Iron Maiden Live After Death or Queen Live at Wembley, 1986. So, Maiden Live After Death. Scream for me, Long Beach! Um, That's what he what says. He says. Yeah, yeah. he says, isn't it? Yeah, good impression, that. Uh, it's it's like a classic here. Iron Maiden document, or is it? Recording across 1984 and 1985 and released in late 1985. Speaking of Merlin, he's a much bigger Iron Maiden fan than either you or I, or most people, I think. He says Rock in Rio is the best one, but then he likes the Brave New World years. And for me... I don't think many other people talk about that. I think he was like, well, it's one gig, isn't it? It's them at one gig rather than across a bunch of gigs, which sort of feeds into what we were saying earlier. And, you know, he likes the Brave New World stuff. You've also got to sit through the fucking... And he said, you know, the definitive version of uh, Fear of the Dark. So, yeah, fine. I mean, I can see that. But I do actually like, and I definitely prefer, and I'm glad to rep for Iron Maiden's Live After Death. Because hmm. I think, to me... That is um, a good set list. I can see how this is considered a sort of classic live maiden document. There's that version of Running Free on the end, which is really, really ace. Most of the set list is really good. It's not got any of the kind of wanky shite that they end up doing a couple of years later and then on for the next 35 years. I mean, it's got like, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, mate. It has got Rhyme <laughs> of the Ancient Mariner on it, but that is kind of the only thing from the, the proggy... Um, things isn't it yeah like, there's not a lot there's not a lot apart from that that it has that's not more like like maiden bangers i guess yeah yeah, yeah. that's fair that's fair so you know um it's pretty good i think it's pretty good what do you think of it uh i would like to say for the record i'm absolutely with merlin i think rock and rio is a superior live album actually i think it does have definitive versions of, of some better maiden songs i mean fear of the dark live um <laughs> for me i mean it's top three maiden song um after certainly hallowed be thy name and oh ace is high is hard to beat when you see it live as well um but the live version of fear of the dark i think the studio version is good the live version is where it just absolutely um makes so much sense um i do really like live after death i think it is a very interesting document um of a band uh not quite at the absolute peak of their powers because this comes before um seventh sun which i think of the original run is my favorite early maiden album so to speak um because i do love maiden from 1980 to 1988 and then from 2000 to 2006 basically they release matter of life and death it's like wow you're going out on top thank god you're not going to release anything oh no hang on oh dear <laughs> <laughs> so that was not great and obviously don't, don't care for the 90s stuff because it's bad um mm. I think Live After Death is very strong indeed. I think the performance is great. Um, you can tell it's a band working very, very hard to establish themselves as a legendary sort of live uh, live establishment and institution. Um, and I think there's, yeah, some brilliant performances of particularly Power Slave. The, I mean, the Trooper. Trooper's a difficult one because I don't need to hear that song again. I definitely don't need to hear that song again because um, I've seen Maiden Live so many times over the years. But 
Yeah, hard to deny it on here. Yeah, running free is a, a, a finale. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's 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 very good. But if we're talking about legendary live acts, Queen live at Wembley in 1986. So Queen returned to the site of what is generally considered one of or the best live performance in the history of recorded live music after leveling Wembley Stadium at Live Aid in 1985. This was recorded on the 12th of July 1986, released as a live video, but not actually released as an album until after Freddie Mercury passed away in 1992. So we have broken one of our rules there a little bit. But I always thought Live Killers was considered the best Queen live album anyways. I thought Queen Live Killers was sort of considered the best one. I think that's really, really good. But it is very, very difficult to argue with the majesty. I mean, I brought in, like like I say, somebody suggested that it has to be Queen Live at Wembley. And I was like, not Live Killers? And they were like, nah, I think, you know, Live at Wembley. And when you look at the set list, mm. you know, when you add in shit like Kind of Magic, One Vision, under pressure another one bites i think another one bites dust may be in live killers as well i can't remember off the top of my head but then like i want to break free radio gaga stuff like that being chucked into the set list as well over this massive two disc fucking 28 song set list and i love hearing shit like tie your mother down seven seas of rye all the kind of earlier stuff that they put in um to the set uh somewhere as massive as Wembley it's just something about this it's fucking great man it's very very strong yeah I don't know what it is it's a kind of magic I suppose uh yeah I mean Queen one of the great live bands ever Freddie Mercury one of on the podium for great front men easily if not the gold medal uh hard to argue with this uh like much to love Maiden I think they are in a hiding to nothing when you've got I mean look at that run Kind of magic, under pressure, another one bites the dust. Oh, who who wants to live forever? I want to break free. It's like, fuck me, you'd have a good time, wouldn't you? Let alone getting mm-hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody that obviously, since I think it's taken on even more of a legacy as kind of a definitive British song. But um, I mean, you still have a great time singing along to that because it does come in the wake of Live Aid, as you say, which, I mean, that's the definitive version, isn't it? I don't know if there's anything on this that I think is the definitive version of any of these songs, but it's really fucking good versions of these songs. So yeah, Queen for me. Yeah, um, again, it will surprise no one to learn that I would go with Queen and with a 68.5% of the votes ahead of the 31.5% that I made and got Queen, it feels pretty cut and dry and feels pretty comfortable uh, that Queen would go through. Whether or not this is the definitive Queen live album or not and whether or not it is the definitive Iron Maiden live album or not, um, I think that it's pretty cut and dried here, wouldn't you say? That's a landslide. That is a landslide. That is that is a bit of a landslide, I think. All right, this is the death match of the round, I think. The Who Live at Leeds versus James Brown Live at the Apollo. The Who Live at Leeds, released in 1970, is really the album that set the bar for all other live albums from guitar and rock bands that came in its wake. Recorded in February 1970 at Leeds University, this is essentially a backlash to the Tommy album mm. that they've been working on. This is the Who at their full throttle, going, ram through everything, loud, angry, aggressive, best. There is, again, some stuff that is not on the track list that you'd like to see. You know, Who Are You, Babbo Riley Won't Get Fooled Again, Plenty of songs that aren't on here. But in terms of 
a band coming out and just being like, fuck you, this is what we're going to do. The Who Live at Leeds is absolutely amazing. And I want to say, obviously, massive shout out to the performance by Keith Moon on the drums, which is just mental how good it is. I, I would say Keith Moon and John Entwistle. I think they both sound like they're mm. absolutely trying... They're just trying to destroy their instruments. They play with such ferocity yeah. and such power. Um, yeah, this is... I don't often associate The Who with kind of freneticism outside of Keith Moon, but my God, they all sound feral on this, don't they? And that, you know, the nearly 15-minute version of My Generation it is a kind of transformative, kind of spur yeah. of the moment, just like document of a snapshot of this incredible live moment um yeah it's absolutely wonderful um almost feel like magic bus kind of uh, good as it is almost suffers in the wake of my generation as the finale um mm. almost but yeah uh, a very very strong six track album you know well this is it i mean it's it's actually when you listen to the original version of it it's only 37 minutes long yeah I mean, yeah, for the record. Uh, there have been so many different fucking versions that have come out since that have elongated it to, you know, in some cases, nearly three times that length. But the original version of the record, which just goes in and out so quickly, is fucking well good. Yeah, I mean, just looking at, I'm looking at the 40th anniversary collector's edition, which obviously is a few a few things but i mean that's four hours worth of material just about um but yeah this is well good uh i was just gonna say for the record any of these where there have been sort of subsequent expanded re-releases i've just gone for the original because i think that's obviously where the kind of legacy is built on a lot of them um yep who's very strong who could rival them well not many people but if somebody could james brown live at the apollo <laughs> again generally considered one of, if not the greatest live album of all time by a lot of people. I believe Rolling Stone voted it as the greatest live album ever made. This is the, hard in work, is the hardest working man in show business. Definitive live document. And fuck me, was James Brown good live. Mm. Like, recorded at James Brown's own expense on the 24th of October 1962 at the Apollo and released in 1963. Now, you could say, a bit like The Who, you could say, no, Papa's got a brand new bag. No, get up off of that thing. No, this is a man's world. No, I feel good. There's a lot missing from yeah. this. In terms of a track listing, there is a lot missing from this. But <laughs> what you get <laughs> is like rabid. Yeah. James Brown just like screaming at people, losing his fucking shit and i think the joy of this which i think you get slightly more than you get with the who is the the audience in this make a massive difference mm. i think because they are going fucking bonkers you can hear people like ah! screaming all the way through it this is absolutely incredible like these two albums are there's no way they shouldn't be either of them should be should be getting to quarterfinals it, this sucks that they got drawn out against each other but this is one of the nastiest clashes, definitely. Um, I mean, fuck me. Yeah, James Brown. Uh, just absolutely electric on this album. As you say, you can... I feel like you can hear him sort of screaming while he's smiling, though, because he seems to be having so much fun with it. And one of the things I was saying at the beginning that for me makes a really important live album is the feeding off the audience. I mean, here it is very much an audible reception, particularly on 
I mean, for me, the highlight is the medley of those several songs that go through. I mean, particularly mm. when you get to like, you've got the power and I found someone. You can hear kind of, even without any visual accompaniment, you can hear what he's doing in terms of his kind of stage moves and um, just knowing James Brown after the fact and stuff from the way that the Teddy Boys Beatlemania level of absolute hysteria from the audience just kind of ebbs and flows from quite a quiet shriek to an absolute ear-shattering one. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he sounds fucking unhinged and yet so cool so much swagger so much sex appeal and yeah it's it's well it's eight tracks obviously the medley features a lot of songs but there's so much so much missed out here and yet this is so i'd never listened to this in full before and i i feel like an idiot um yeah this this gets my vote just just about well you have voted 51.7% 51.7% tight yeah in favour of the who oh yeah it's down um, to you Steve this is ridiculous this mm. this is completely ridiculous yeah and I'm basically cannot separate these two I think they're both fucking phenomenal oh yeah, yeah. so I'm going to base it on this so this is me getting a deciding vote right mm-hmm. okay i'm gonna say due to the amount of stuff that is not on james brown live at the apollo because i think every song on the who you go that's a classic that's a classic that's a classic that's a classic and i think you know Everything is great on the James Brown album, but can you imagine how much better it would be if we had a Papa's Got a Brand New Bag or, you know, then that becomes like absolutely definite. Like not to, this is absolutely splitting hairs. These are both 10 out of 10 live albums. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like whoever comes out from this is in with a right shout of winning it. I think just looking at the track listing, Young Man Blues, Substitute, Summertime Blues, Shaking All Over, that massive My Generation magic bus. And then when you get into the kind of, you know, I'm a boy, Happy Jack, um, can't explain. When you get get the kind of 95 reissue, it just adds even more great songs to it, right? Uh, You don't have that so much with Live at the Apollo. There is a 2004 extended version, um, which has, you know, I'll Go Crazy, like and lost someone in the medley and think kind of swapped around like in the sort of promo versions and single mixes mm. and stuff so you never get the kind of addition of that really really classic material there's stuff missing from the who live at leeds there's a lot missing from james brown live at the apollo in terms of the actual not in terms of the performance but in terms of the actual track listing mm. and i think for that reason alone just I'm going to say the who. I hope you're happy, Roger Daltrey. Look what you've I'm done. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's delighted. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's absolutely fucking delighted. So that is horrible. That is that awful. That's happened. <laughs> that is really horrible. Especially when you look at some of the other ones and you go like, well, that's fairly easy. Um, I think this next one's pretty fucking horrible. Next one's pretty fucking horrible. ACDC, If You Want Blood, You Got It, versus Thin Lizzy, Live and Dangerous. So just before Highway to Hell came out, we get this document of ACDC with Bon Scott at their rowdiest, recording Glasgow in 1978, released a year later. 
here you have a band who are just about to become absolutely fucking mahusive. Again, you know, you can look at it and you can go, oh, you know, the set list, um, you know, the set list is possibly got a lot of things missing from it. I mean, not even possibly, it has yeah. got a lot of things that you would want from ACDC missing from it. But there's not really anything on it which isn't like, oh my God, that's amazing. Riff Raff, Hell in a Bad Place to Be, Bad Boy Boogie, The Jack, Problem Child, Whole Lot of Rosie, Rock and Roll Damnation, High Voltage, Let There Be Rock, again maybe the definitive version of let there be rock mm -hmm. and closing on rocker fucking amazing absolutely amazing and if you are a mark for the bon scott era uh, which i am then this is a hell of a time yeah this is a hell of a time um pff, fucking hell. I, I can't believe i'm having to choose between riffraff and some of the songs on the other album. This this is really really unfair. This one horrible. This is awful. This uh, for me. I mean, oh yeah, difficult to choose because I mean, if you want blood, you've got it. Is oh my god. I mean, the version of a whole lot of Rosie, mate. Fucking yeah. Um, Bon Scott sounds so good. <laughs> absolutely fucking feral on this, and yet so kind of cheeky and charming at the same time like he doesn't sound like he's absolutely going to fall apart i mean obviously we find out that he later does um tragically so but i mean the way he and angus and malcolm you know kind of interplay off one another it's staggeringly brilliant rock music there, there is only one classic rock album that could rival it and it's fucking come up against it hasn't it well yes live and dangerous by thin lizzie um any ladies got any Irish in you? Would you like some? Uh, one of the most brilliantly rollicking rock and roll experiences that you can imagine. Released in 1978, recorded in Philadelphia and Toronto in 1977. This is an album that reached number two in the UK. Cool. Apparently, as people have discussed over many years, the big sort of controversy, is it controversy? I'm not sure, but there's a lot of overdubs. Mm. on live and dangerous by all accounts someone even said should you be counting this is it a live album well it's called a live album so you know and it's generally considered one of the greatest live albums ever yeah uh, in popular culture so we sort of have to consider it but i think that is something that we could chuck in there and go you know it's not actually that's not what this sounded like this has been manipulated in the studio quite a lot afterwards but really you're splitting hairs a little bit there, aren't you? Because Jailbreak, Emerald, Southbound, Rosalie, Cowgirl Song, Dancing in the Moonlight, Massacre, Still in Love with You, Johnny the Fox Meets Jimmy the Weed, Cowboy, oh, it's, uh, Cowboy Song, uh, Boys Are Back in Town, Don't Believe World, Warriors, Are You Ready, Suicide, Shalala, Baby Drives Me Crazy, The Rocker. That is some of the most essential classic rock music ever made by anyone and a band i would say like genuinely at the absolute peak of their powers are acdc at the peak of their powers and if you want blood prior to back in black prior to highway to hell i don't know i think thin lizzie are here though yeah thin lizzie are here um this one just takes it for me. I think they're, and you know, overdubs or whatever. I mean, to be honest, it's like, you, th you think about some live albums that have come out uh, in the aftermath of this. I mean, how much of what was going on on stage was on tracks that then gets committed <laughs> to tape as a live album anyway? It's like, I don't know. I, I think, you know, 
it was performed live. Yeah, it may have been edited in the studio, but I mean, you know, a live album gets mixed, doesn't it? It doesn't just come out raw. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm clutching at straws to just try and defend Thin Lizzy because I'm picking mm. it really. But no, I'm having it. Um, I think Linnet and Brian Downey's percussion, like the bass and percussion, let alone his vocals, working in tandem together. This is so muscular and powerful and fun. It is everything that, if you want blood, you've got it is. But if you want blood, you've got it. 10 tracks, missing loads from Dirty Deeds. And a, a bit like, I would say this is a bit like uh, Biffy versus Sick of It All, where I think If You Want Blood You've Got It is a band just about to absolutely explode into kind of legendary territory. Um, this is kind of a defining, a or the defining moment for Thin Lizzy. Um, so I think the um, kind of, the way they have handpicked their material to get loads and loads of stuff, but all fucking classics. That's a tick. Um, I just think the the energy to it just pips it for me. And also, I don't want Joe Nally to beat me up for not picking it. So that's fine. <laughs> well, uh, it was tight. Yeah. ACDC, 48.2%. Thin Lizzy, 51.8%. I think it's really, really close, but yep. I'm going to say... Um, as much as I think I probably prefer ACDC as a band, I think you can't argue that Thin Lizzy have um, made the more definitive album here, I think. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. what I'm going to say. I, I, so I it, live with that. So it's going through. Right, let's move on to the next one, which uh, is Nirvana MTV Unplugged versus... Pantera's 101 Live Proof. Yes, that's right. We're going to talk about Pantera. So Pantera Live 101 Proof. Maybe the most quotable live album in history for me. <laughs> this, this is our, this is our hit. For any part on the fucking drums, you won't hear this song on anywhere apart from on your god, this stage, your goddamn home video. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you how to cut your car stereo. So I should be there in Philip and somewhere. Pantera on the Great Southern Tranquil Tour across 96 and 97. For me... The best Pantera album, Pantera at the peak of their powers, released in 1997, two new songs on it. Nah. nah. Um, this has got all the stuff on it, right? Now, I know some of you might go, why are you talking about Pantera? Are you white supremacists? Like, we're not, right? <laughs> and what's been going on with, with Pantera recently is bum. You know, he's absolutely oh, yeah, bummed. Yeah, yeah. And Phil's a bellend. But there's a thing that's been happening recently where people have not just gone like, oh, God, isn't it embarrassing what's happening with Pantera? And isn't Phil sound very, like, horrible dickhead and stuff? People are actually actively going, oh, Pantera aren't good. Go and listen to Carcass. Go and listen to Carcass over Pantera. No, I like songs. Hence why I'm <laughs> going to go and listen to Pantera who actually wrote, like, songs. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, no, I know, bless you for thinking that bands like Carcass or whoever a uh, 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 son and pantera that they're, they're not <laughs> they're not they couldn't write their riffs are really simple yeah they wrote songs um and what a load of songs they wrote i mean a new level walk becoming five minutes alone as an opening four is fucking incredible oh, no, 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 no. no it, it's an opening 14 every single song there is not yeah. a moment that this dips like, let's be real about this. You might not like Pantera and what they stand for in 2023, 2022, and going all the way back to 20-whatever. But this album is fucking brilliant. If you like metal and you like kind of just really, really super aggressive, harsh, but really catchy metal songs played by a band at their 
their nastiest. Mm. This is fucking. This is fucking brilliant. Say what you like about them. I'm sorry. This record's absolutely fucking brilliant. But we don't have to be that nice it for too long because it it's up against Nirvana's MTV Unplugged, um, which is like a proper, proper, proper classic. Mm. Uh, the final time, really, we got to see Kurt Cobain kind of do everything. This document has gone down in legend, seeing Kurt rip his vocals to shreds on that last line in Where Did You Sleep Last Night, which can't ever fail to send shivers down your spine. Recorded in November 1993, released almost exactly a year later. You could go, no Teen Spirit, no Heart Shaped Box, no Lithium, blah, 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 blah. But come on. I mean, this is the band who were the band at that point, just before they fell apart, doing something really unique, truly one-off, a couple of amazing covers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not just Where Did You Sleep Last Night, but Lake of Fire and The Man Who Sold The World. It, it is an incredibly important cultural, historical document. It is iconic in so many, many ways. Uh for me this is as great as pantera 101 is there's not really any way i can pick it over nirvana unplugged uh the the swan song of the most important band since the beatles in in popular music isn't it um mm -hmm. has definitive versions of other people's songs i mean uh you know the man who sold the world people now think of it as a nirvana song because of this cover yeah <laughs> they, they do um and also it's not a sort of drastic reinterpretation of the material but doing acoustic versions of these songs um you know it, it is it's a bold move and we know how bad a lot of the mtv unplugs became in the aftermath of this i mean fucking corn unplugged is an absolute travesty um so for this to be for this to hold water against the three Nirvana LPs and Incesticide. It's like, I mean, oh, I mean, this, this one could win it. You know, it really could. Yeah, yeah. it really could. Um, and I think everyone agreed pretty much 78.7% of the vote went to Nirvana, 21.3% to Pantera. I mean, as a live document, no shade on Pantera tour. I think no, I, no, I no. Do, do you think that album is fucking great? That version of Sandblasted Skin's amazing, mate yeah i mean and potentially like the definitive version of i'm broken yeah on that that version that closes it all last song of the night's called i'm broken i'm having a good time it's fucking amazing right but the definitive version of like you say the man who sold the world which is a david bowie song it's not even his song yeah um definitive version of penny royal tea definitive version of dumb definitive version of polly definitive version of on a plane uh, like that version of where'd you sleep last night oh my god that, that last note it's heartbreaking it's just a no-brainer yeah, really. yeah, it's just yeah. an absolute no-brainer i think nirvana really really have to go through um to play one of motorheads no sleep till hammersmith and deep purples made in japan so start with motorhead um a number one album from Lemmy's Wrecking Crew and the absolute peak of their powers. Recorded across 1980 and 1981, released in 1981. This is considered by many people to be the very best Motorhead album. The balls on Motorhead to start their <laughs> set with the Ace of Spades. Fucking but ridiculous. Look, look at that fucking set list, mate. Stay Clean, 
Iron Horse, No Class, Overkill, We Are The Road Crew, Bomber, Motorhead. <sighs> I mean, look, there are plenty of Motorhead songs that you would whack in that have come out in the aftermath of that. We're going to talk about a, a version of Orgasmatron in a little bit, I'm sure. But this is the classic lineup of Motorhead at the absolute peak of their powers. And it's fucking amazing, right? Yeah, I mean, so when I was talking about Sick of It All, referencing a band who... Um they just are better life they're made to be a live band you know motorhead um consistently on tour because they knew that was their best setting they basically come off tour to go and record another album to go and do another tour and you know obviously i was not alive when motorhead were in their kind of their prime shall we say you know every time i saw them i saw them six or seven times um i saw them at hammersmith actually i think it was my second or third ever gig I saw them at the hammersmith palais um oh, cool. it was brilliant uh my ear still hurts so that's good uh they were still playing basically the same set list until the day lemmy died so i think that says it all about how kind of definitive motorhead as a live band are this is the best version of them as a live band it's the best version of most of these songs for my money i think their version of bomber especially on here is fucking unbelievable and yeah the brass bollocks to open with ace of spades and then not let it drop like the quality does not drop the pace doesn't drop because it's motorhead and they play rock and roll yeah this is fucking incredible i mean is this the best motorhead album for uh, me it probably it would be actually be. Yeah. you know like it, it's that good yeah it is really really fucking good um just because of how great the set list is you can't fuck with it if you were to have like one motorhead album you might go or if i can only have one i want all the fucking best songs on it so yeah i might take this uh deep purple's made in japan feels like quite a, a tough one i mean i'm actually a fan of deep purple i haven't really spoken about deep purple before but black knight by deep purple my dad put on a, a mixtape for me when i was about three years old and i was like oh i really like this and you know i actually like deep purple i think they're a pretty good band this is recorded on their 1972 japanese tour funnily enough ian gillen actually says at one point to make everything louder than everything else hey. on this album nice which uh funny that he got he's about <laughs> to get knocked out by someone who, <laughs> who adopted, did adopted that, that yeah. at the same point um so it's kind of funny they've been drawn together i actually i actually really like this i think for my taste it gets a little bit too jammy yeah at points yeah yeah like it's a little bit too jammy. Some of the big songs are on it there. I mean, especially if you include the expanded version with Speaking and and the aforementioned Black Knight on it. I think, you know, there's some really, really, like all the kind of big, cool songs are on there. But, you know, Smoke on the Water, Highway Star, Strange Kind of Woman. You know, you've, you've got like big songs on there. They do really fucking string them out though. Um, yeah. But I'm it's not bad, this. It's just kind of i just don't see it being better than motorhead frankly no I, there is no way this is beating motorhead i'm afraid to say but um to be fair to it you know gillen and blackmore sound fucking otherworldly on highway star it starts so brilliantly obviously the riff for smoke on the water is immortal it is etched into the fabric of reality itself but it's motorhead man and i mean ultimately i i would say it depends on which band you like more and obviously i like motorhead more but i do think the Motorhead one has just got an inescapable amount of... You feel like you're in the room. It gets you in in Motorhead's kind of world. This just feels like you're listening to live versions of um, of songs as opposed to living them. Um, so, yeah, easy Motorhead for me. What are they saying? Mm -hmm. What are the listeners saying? Uh, they very much agree with you, Sam. Yeah. Um, it has been 84.6% for Motorhead against 15.4% for deep purple so yeah i feel like that is fairly fairly cut and dried mm. so motorhead go through 
to face off against Nirvana in the next round. That is pretty fucking brutal, I have to say. Let's uh, let's keep this rolling on by talking about uh, Johnny Cash live at Folsom Prison versus your pick, your wildcard pick, and all that could have been by Nine Inch Nails. So, happy birthday, Johnny Cash, live at Folsom Prison. The man in black heads to a prison to entertain some reprobates who hmm. probably are better behaved than he is to be fair but 65 yeah. years old today recorded on the 13th of january 1968 released in may of that year there's something about the vibe of this mm. the danger of this hello i'm johnny cash and then straight into Folsom prison blues and you can almost hear the whole venue rattle as yeah. uh, as he starts playing there's something brilliantly raucous about this whole album um you know again you could go, there's a few bits and bobs missing here, you know, that, that aren't, especially when you think of latter period, you know, American recording, Johnny yeah, Cash, yeah. that kind of, you know, the the revised version of Johnny Cash. There's none of that here. Um, you know, you, you, you don't even get Ring of Fire. Mm. So um, you could say there's a little bit missing from it, but. Give my love to Rose with June Carter Cash yeah. coming on at the end there. Green Green Grass at Home, I think lovely as well. But then it's the shit like Cocaine Blues uh, and like the Folsom Prison Blues is just, I think as an opener, again, that is the definitive version of that song and one of the definitive songs of, of Cash's career. Yeah. Uh, well, of this era of music, full stop. It's, yeah. Um, it's great, right? Uh, it. it absolutely brilliant um i think for me the, the thing that makes this album is uh the the audible tension like you can kind of as you say you hear the place rattling, you can hear the kind of like the crowd aren't mic'd or the mics aren't picking up the crowd brilliantly the the inmates i suppose you should say but um you can hear the kind of like rabble and there is something about the way that the man in black himself johnny cash you know he casts even just just with his baritone you know he casts an imposing figure and you feel like it could kick off at any moment, but he's just able to keep it, keep it on the light side with you know kind of a few, I don't know, well sort of well intentioned jibes and stuff like that. But it does feel like Johnny Cash is someone who would absolutely beat the shit out of you, and I think every single one of those prisoners know it. Uh, I particularly, um, I, I think the the two songs with June Carter, absolutely brilliant. I would particularly like to shout out the Long Black Veil. I think that has mm. got a real kind of that tension just all over it and it makes it really quite an uncomfortable listen but i like discomfort yeah he's often massively out of tune as well isn't he yeah i mean it's very like, it's real. all over the place yeah. like it's really real sounding because he's often all over the place um and someone who you know when i saw them live said oh, i've just made my first mistake of my career trent Reznor. <laughs> i actually played a bum note for the first time ever in 2022 so nightingale's all that could have been sam's sam's pick Sam's kind of wildcard pick. I think this might have been considered anyway because it is amazing. Trent Reznor on the Fragile Tour. Maybe we're both just a little bit biased here. Uh, I would, but there's I, no I, getting away from it. I this is pick, amazing. I picked this before we did the Fragile special for the record. But yeah, we are definitely biased here. Um, mm. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, released in 2002, as we said in our Fragile special, wasn't a lot of touring of the Fragile. So this is a fairly rare document of, um, I'd say probably the the most artistically challenging Nine Inch Nails material. Set list is fucking mental. Mm. Really, really, really brilliant. I mean, that opening of Terrible Lies Sin, March of the Pigs, Piggy, The Frail, The Wretched, gave up 
great below mark has been made wish something isn't it really? you're just going explosion. to the end yeah <laughs> suck closer head like a hole day the world went away star fuckers hurt wow wow yeah what a fucking what a, this is amazing like this is an absolutely amazing live document of a band who i think are probably the best band in history that i've ever seen my favorite live band yeah this is so tight this is really tight um because i think they both uh delight in tension in very very different ways i think with johnny cash it's like someone could get on stage and things could really kick off whereas with nine inch nails the fact that it just fucking starts it just kicks straight into terrible light there's no build-up at all like you press play and you're hearing it. it like it just absolutely batters you with that steely percussion this one it feels like Trent could be getting off stage and killing someone at any time. Like he sounds feral uh, for a great amount of it. But then also much in the same way that Johnny Cash, I think tries to break the tension with a few kind of jibes and stuff like that. It's a great example of Trent being the rock star that he is, you know, introducing piggy with Hey pigs uh, or March of the pigs with Hey pigs and everything. Mm. Having a bit of a laugh in, you know, quite a dark and twisted manner as he is often you so can hear he's putting the, the mic in people's faces mm. in people like, nothing can stop those out of tune people he's like oh shit yeah we are live here yeah, we are we are yeah. actually live um i think this is really difficult the voting 224 votes mm. 50 50 are you fucking kidding like just split absolutely split. right down the middle oh mm-hmm. well i yeah. think we're gonna have to come to a consensus aren't we where are we going with this we are look johnny cash at Folsom prison is why we decided to do this. And it is, without any question whatsoever, the definitive Johnny Cash live album. You have the definitive versions of some of those songs. Mm. It is a classic. It is a classic. It is just a classic album from... um, There's not many artists that I would say are more culturally significant than Nine Inch Nails. But I think Johnny Cash might be one of the few that I would say is, right? I mean, even Trent, you know, kind of has conceded that his version of Hurt is superior to, to his... Uh, Cash's is superior to Trent's. So I disagree mm. with Trent for and, the record. But, yeah. yeah, I think this is incredible. Nine Inch Nails, what it could have been, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think it's probably the one that I would choose to listen to out of the, out of the two. And I'm sure Trent would disagree with me on this as well. But Woodstock 94 remains Nine Inch Nails' greatest live moment. And for that reason alone, Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison, I think, deserves to go through. I'll allow it. It's hard for me to say, but I do think the Johnny Cash one just, just, like, it is a a cigarette paper of difference in kind of, not even quality. And to be honest, in terms of preference, I would rather listen to Nine Inch Nails, much like yourself, but you can't Mm. argue with Folsom Prison. It's unbelievable. Um, but then most of the albums we're talking about are. So. Yeah. Um, so we come on to Cheap Trick Live at Budokan versus Alice in Chains MTV Unplugged. Cheap Trick Live at Budokan, the first live album from the US rock band recorded in Budokan in Japan in 1978. I'd never listened to this before. I'm not a massive Cheap Trick fan. I'm not massively au fait with the entire work of Cheap Trick, but I thought this was great. I thought the crowd were going absolutely mental. Mm. I thought Cheap Trick were cool. They're chucking a few little meta bits there with the opening of the show and the this is the end of the set and all that kind of stuff. And you also have I Want You To Want Me and Surrender, which was actually a brand new song at that point in the set list. And personally for me, that's all I really need. So I really liked Cheap Trick Live at Budokan. I'd never listened to it before. thought it was dead good. 
I'd never listened to it, and I never really listened to Cheap Trick full stop, to be honest. Um, this is a really, really good example of... Um, I mean, I, I couldn't speak to whether or not this is the band at the absolute peak of their powers. Uh, I realise it is considered their definitive one. I know it's a massively influential live album in terms of the rock live album. Um, but for me, I think the best thing about this... Um, and it's particularly on side two, I feel it really comes into the same with the uh, Fats Domino cover into I Want You To Want Me, etc. Mm. You can hear them. Their performance builds across the whole thing as they kind of feed off the rabid reception they're getting. There is more of really that. Really rabid. Yeah, yeah, it's more of that Teddy Boys Beatlemania thing that we were talking about earlier. Um, I mean, they genuinely sound like they want to storm the stage and just like Dawn of the Dead, rip them limb from limb. They love them that much. But uh, yeah, it's a really strong one. But I mean, come on, mate. Come on, mate. Yeah, let's move on to Alison Chains Unplugged. So, much like Nirvana Unplugged. Yeah. Uh, another one where it was the last time we saw a truly great artist. This time, the final time we saw Lane Staley performing. Released and recorded in 1996. I have gone on and on and on about how great this is. And I feel like maybe I don't really even need to do that again because Cheap Trick Live at Budokan is considered a, a great live album, a classic live album by a very, very good band, a band who I enjoy but don't have loads of like really personal love for. Um, I feel like the reception to Alice in Chains Unplugged has just grown and grown and grown mm. over the years. I mean... The fact that they end with a brand new song that we never, ever got to hear again, and it's absolutely amazing in Killer Is Me. Yeah. When you watch this, I mean, I've got this on DVD and on like album. I think both of them are phenomenally powerful. But um, when you see Lane, frail, sitting on a chair, barely moving, dark glasses, completely covered up, black gloves on, it's heartbreaking, yeah, but it's amazing that he gets so much out of his body. Uh, Metal Hammer recently did a thing saying about, I think it was back in 2019, why Alice in Chains Unplugged is the best live album ever made. It might not be as revered as some of the others we're going to talk about, but for me, this is an easy decision. Yeah, um, I mean, the Lane Cantrell... Uh, Axis once again, you know, ap absolutely one of the definitive kind of dual vocal performances in well any band ever. Um, definitive versions of well, for my money, nutshell, down in a hole and wood at the very very least. I think there are there are other albums here where there are more transformative takes on songs, but I think it's the way that Lane delivers them. Um, in that, I mean, basically half-dead manner, uh, as you say, kind of drawing everything from the deepest recesses of his um, fading soul. It's really, really hard to listen to, um, knowing what we know about uh, his eventual sort of um, tragic passing. I mean, if uh, the cover of Lead Belly ends Nirvana's on a heartbreaking note, I mean, Nutshell starts it on one and it just carries on incredibly bleak. Um <laughs> No question, Alison Chains. No question. It got the most votes of anything. It was the biggest win. Yeah, ninety-one point five percent for Alison Chains, eight point five percent for Cheap Trick. Yeah, feels a bit harsh on Cheap Cheap Trick, but yeah, it it, it really couldn't be anything else. It, it had to be, you know, it, it like yeah, it, it's the the best one. Um, 
this chains go through. This one's going to be interesting, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You two under a blood red sky. You two live at Red Rocks back in 1983, released in 1984. Amazing scene um, that it was set in. If you've watched it, it's fucking incredible. Sepultura uh, would reference it in an album later on, which we'll talk about. This show was nearly cancelled because of the torrential rain. And there's something that is just amazing to watch you two in such a scenic setting um, with such brilliant material that they had at the time. Uh, although they only had three albums mm. at this point. And so there is so, 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 so much missing from this set list. But it's also the show really that established the Red Rocks venue in Colorado as a, a venue. So when you see these bands playing there, you two are kind of the band who established that as a place to go and play. Wow. Ultimately, um, you know, I, I think this is fucking brilliant. It's got an incredible version of Sunday Bloody Sunday, which yeah. has been called the definitive version of Sunday Bloody Sunday. Not sure about that, actually, as we'll talk about in a minute. Cry into the Electric Company, um, a brilliant New Year's Day. Um, that Closing three of 11 o'clock TikTok, I will follow in 40, is fucking magnificent. Works as a live album, definitely. But when you see it with the visuals, it is very, very, very spectacular. Um, had you ever listened to this before, Sam? I hadn't, no. I, and I've, def I've certainly not seen it. I definitely need to because Red Rocks is such a beautiful venue. And I mean, mm. you know, I've seen Gojira and Opeth and the fucking South Park birthday celebrations have taken place there on YouTube. It's like, I didn't realise. played there as well, yeah. Yeah, they did, yeah, yeah. But I didn't realise it was you two that kind of established it as uh, such a spectacular, um, outstanding spot of natural gigging. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, man particularly the performance of Sunday Bloody Sunday. I think Bono, uh, you know, we all like to take the piss out of him now, but he is awe-inspiring there. I think he's communicating so much sorrow and so much frustration and so much of a call for unity in um, in what is, you know, a, a less than five-minute song. He does so much in it and really encapsulates the frustrations of a Sunday. Yeah, he really does, yeah. <laughs> um, versus Live by Bob Marley and the Wailers, taken from their London Lyceum show in 1975. This is the one that has that version of No Woman, No Crying. Mm. When we talk about the definitive versions of things, uh, this might be the most definitive, definitive version of a song <laughs> yes. that we're going to talk about. Um, when you look at side two of oh, this record, No life. Woman, No Cry, I Shot the Sheriff, get up stand up that kind of closes the case on this for mm. me um this is absolutely fucking amazing this is amazing yeah i i much to my shame had never heard this before uh you know i was saying uh when we were doing the buju banton record uh when we had murkage dave on i mean kind of reggae dub culture etc uh, it's a real blind spot for me but even i knew you know even I knew a lot of these songs without without having heard the, the live versions of them. I mean, obviously, no one, no woman, no cry. I have heard this version because everyone has. Um, my my God, I mean, everything I say about Bono's kind of ability to communicate so much sort of I don't know political nuance in his vocals. I mean, times that by a fucking billion for Bob Marley, especially on something like "Them Bellyful But We Hungry." I think those war the softly wiring guitars and the choral backing while he himself moves from these you know kind of smoky draws into almost gritted teeth but never actually relenting or allowing himself to be angry or aggressive this doesn't feel 
like it's him performing live this just feels like it is bob marley it feels so natural it feels like it coursed through his lifeblood and ending with th- that run of three as you say i mean get up stand up at the end i mean fucking mm. hell um yeah i mean easy yeah I, yeah i mean the thing is right you'd expect me to vote for you too yeah and i will say this for why i'm not going to one there's so many definitive versions of bob marley songs on this record and yeah. the set list again you know is missing a lot of stuff. It's missing a fair bit of stuff. It's only seven songs. It's only seven songs. But U2 is missing much more stuff. And I think there is actually, I don't even think this is the definitive live U2 document. When you think of U2 live, them on the Joshua Tree tour, I know that people give Rattle and Hum a lot of shit, but I think if you watch Rattle and Hum and you see that version of Sunday Bloody Sunday, to me, that's a superior version. Mm. Zoo TV is one of the most spectacular live sets ever. So I think were we going down that road yeah then, know, then it would be more then, of a conversation yeah. more of a conversation but for me it's actually pretty cut and dried that it has to be bob marley and the whalers and you just about agreed with uh, us 48.4 percent for you two 51.6 percent for bob marley wow. so um yeah it, it was uh Club's call. it was pretty tight it was a pretty tight call um right next sepultura under a pale gray sky versus kiss Alive, so Sepultura, the final Sepultura show ever for Max Cavalera in December 1996 at Brixton Academy. Amazing scenes. Um, sort of broken our own rule again here a little bit because it took a little while to come out. Came out in 2002, probably people hoping that Max were going to come back to the band, but he wasn't. Um, we get a Motorhead and Cro-Mags covers on here. All the stuff you'd want over a massive 25-song set. Welcome to the third world! <laughs> uh i obviously being a massive massive fan of sepultura fucking love this i wish i'd gone to this show i could have done i bottled it it's a lot of songs you know there's a lot of songs to get like i say like a 28 song set this century well 27 in the itsari uh intro but i mean look at that opening run of roots bloody roots spit territory unbelievable and you go breed apart attitude cutthroat troops of doom beneath the remains born stubborn desperate cry necromancer dusted endangered species look at that end as well like fucking from refuse resist arise (laughs) dead on excel slave new world biotechnical zilla inner self the titas cover policia we got a no cover uh by the chromans kos ratamahata and motorheads orgasmatron to end the set yeah holy shit that's a hell of a set list and there's something you know it's a fucking a night where tensions were running high and i think you can feel that mm. in this live album is very good you wouldn't need to know that this was the last time max performed with sepultura they are so angry how fucking fast do they want to play roots and refuse Ooh. resist i don't even have time to ask what this shit is it's it's aggressive um in the extreme you know we already knew uh, before this album is released that Sepultura were a highly aggressive ferocious live band uh, or ferocious band full stop listen to Chaos AD listen to Arise it's heavy heavier than a bag of spanners on Jupiter but here they all sound like they're ready to fucking murder each other Igor's percussion Andreas is um, sometimes sloppy but like heavily kind of distorted almost industrial levels of distortion guitar as he kind of slides around his fretboard and then Max just sounding like the devil. Um, is there is is there any point discussing this one? 
Well, look, we got to make the case for one of the biggest live albums of all time, Kiss Alive. You wanted the best, you got the best. The album that really put Kiss on the map, the 1975 album that turned them into superstars, recorded across four concerts on their 1975 tour. This is one where I think there's a bunch of songs later that could have been in the set, but, you know, you think of, like, Beth, I Was Made For Loving You. Yeah, the best one. Um, Yeah, you know... There are stuff on there is stuff on it that you go, oh, you know, you like that that's a sort of the kiss classic now, like lick it up or whatever. Um you know, God of Thunder isn't on it. Um get a bit of like Paul Stanley before he'd really yeah. lost his voice and turned to a woman. It looks like we're gonna have a rock and roll Whee. party tonight. Um it's also got what I would consider to be the definitive cover of I Wanna Rock and Roll All Night on it. I think that probably would be the definitive version of it cover did i call it a version just version full stop so look you know and this inspired so many people so 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 many people and i think it's pretty good like i i i had listened to a live before but not for a long time that opening of juice and strutter i think there's a you know a, a really good version of parasite um black diamonds great that kind of n3 of cold gin rock and roll night let me go rock and roll this is really good and sort of deserving of the, you know, for, for the time, I guess, for the for the classic status that it had. Do you like the 12-minute version of 100,000 Years? I don't like that. No, no. no. I mean, that that probably, to be fair, is really the only only properly bum part on this. Um, Yeah, I apologies to Paul Waller. I still don't like Kiss, but, you know, I don't have a problem with them. I do think, you're absolutely right, Paul Stanley sounds really fucking good on this album. He sounds like a rock star. It's when, you know, you get fucking Gene Simmons warbling all over it. I just, I can't, I can't with him specifically. But yeah, there's some great songs on here. It's another, much like when we came to the Love Gun uh, for a York Old Pop. Um, there's loads of this that I didn't know that I already knew. And it starts really strong. I think it ends really strong. It loses me quite a bit, kind of basically between sort of side two and three. It's cut and dry Sepultura for me. But that's not to say this is bad. This isn't the worst one we're doing this week by a long long way um and i think i mean for me it comes down to paul stanley carrying it because he was born uh, well <laughs> i was gonna say born to be a rock star but no he was born for loving me baby um i just don't love him back so you know yeah you know what look this is probably gonna be the most controversial one because you voted you uh, on the, on our poll voted 59 percent to 41 percent in favor of sepultura and i understand that kiss alive is a classic and blah blah, mm. blah 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 it's not as good and i think the thing about the sepultura one is it, it it captures that one gig at that one time when it just before it all fell apart so it's yeah. got that in favor it's not the only one that has that but it has that in favor of it so i think for that i'm gonna pull rank i'm gonna agree with everyone who voted i'm gonna pull or we're gonna pull rank and say look i know kiss alive is very important but I'm putting, I think we can put Sepultura through. Yeah. Got to be yeah. dumb. Okay. All right. Rolling Stones, get your yayas out versus Sam Cooke live at the Harlem Square Club. Rolling Stones, get your yayas out is a pretty early, not super, I suppose it feels early because they've been around for so long, but not super early, but early enough um, versions of Stones recordings from 1969 taken from their shows in Baltimore and New York and released in 1970. There's no doubt that these songs sound way rawer and more up for it than some of the earlier recorded versions of them. Mm. I hope my trousers don't fall down, says uh, Mick Jagger at one point. I quite like that. But yeah, you know, 
a great kind of weird opening of uh, Jumping Jack Flash with three people introducing them all kind of like this reverberating weird. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what that was about anyway. But then a really good version of Jumping Jack Flash. Um, a really good version of Sympathy for the Devil. A really quite angry version of Street Fighting Man as well. Um, you know, you've got Honky Tonk Woman. Uh, you've got Stray Cat Blues. You've got some fucking great songs in there, right? You've got some really, really great songs in there. Again, a lot of shit missing. A lot of shit that isn't in the Rolling Stones set list now that would be considered absolute fucking guaranteed. Like, you know, no Gimme Shelter, no Start It Up, no Brown Sugar, no um, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. There's a lot missing. There's a lot missing from that. But this is a, this is very good, I think. Yeah, very strong indeed. I think um, Jagger in particular sounds really, really strong across it. I think, yeah, Sympathy for the Devil is awesome. He really does sound ferocious on the Street Fighting Man. And I think... Keith Richards flourishes uh, on his guitar on that. Yeah, it that alone establishes him as a sort of one of the you know best and most pioneering rock guitarists of of his era. Uh, I also really really like um, Midnight Rambler, even though it is nine minutes and five seconds, which sometimes on a live album you don't want. But here I think it's great. The bad word I would have to say about this is what the fuck is that artwork? That is appalling. Awful. The album artwork. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really I mean, bad. it's the worst thing about it, but like, yeah, it is really bad. Mm. Um, it's taken on live at the Harlem Square Club by Sam Cooke, an album that I'd never heard before, if I'm honest, but this was recorded in 1963, released in 1985. Yes, we're breaking that rule again, but it was suggested so many times and has been talked about so many times. Uh, this is essentially a tiny warm-up club show with just a handful of Sam Cooke's most hardcore fans there, which means, as a document, this is just wired. I cannot mm. understand why this took so long to come out. There is, um, during sentimental reasons, there is a woman screaming. Yeah. You, just hear, you can hear how intimate it is. And Sam Cooke sounds amazing. <sighs> Having never heard this before, this is phenomenal and i really don't care how you voted listening <laughs> and i don't care how sam's gonna vote this is going through this is unbelievable this album unbelievable i'd never listened to this either um if i couldn't have james brown i'm having sam cook this oh, is this has i mean to yeah. be fair th this would have been if it were a final between sam cook and james brown this would take it because my god the muscular joyous energy twisting the night away fuck me it if it weren't for the big band backing, it could be a hardcore version, honestly. It's like, mm. he is so maniacally powerful on it. Oh, my God. I'm, he's I'm, like shouting there, bits in it where he shouts. He's like, I fucking love this. He's like, we didn't say fucking. I, I love this song. I love this song. And then he just carries on singing it. Yeah. Like, he is so into it. It's he loves it. Amazing. It's, it's the Sam Cooke live in a dive. So good. <laughs> Sam Cooke under a pale grey sky. Um, It's... It, it the ultimate in audience and performer feeding off each other and just building each other up and up and up and up to the end of fucking having a party oh my god yeah mm. yeah yeah um i'm just gonna say you guys voted uh 61.65.1 again to 34.9 percent in favor of the rolling stones you got that wrong I'm afraid, <laughs> guys you got that badly badly wrong sam cook's going through yeah and um you need to go and educate yourselves because <laughs> you got that really badly wrong and i'm a little bit embarrassed for you i've got to be honest so God, I uh let's dread just... to think what you think about me <laughs> Let, <laughs> let's just let's just move on um frampton comes alive by peter frampton 
versus Daft Punk Alive 2007. Frampton Comes Alive. Oh, baby, people loved his way. Um, it's the voice <laughs> box, isn't it? The charmingly British stage patter, uh, Rolling Stone album of the year, even though he hadn't really done much sort of commercially speaking um, prior to this. This sold 11 million copies and spent 10 weeks atop of the US Billboard charts. Fuck this album's hell. a monster. This album's a fucking monster, even though uh, I, you know, I hadn't really, I don't really know much Peter Frampton. All I know is he's a guy who goes <laughs> in bits and bobs. And this, uh, yeah, he used to be in uh, <laughs> Peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> he was a teacher in fucking Peanuts. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's him. Um, All I know of Peter Frampton is he's in the Lollapalooza episode of The Simpsons and Sonic Youth. He, he is. is Watermelon. Yeah, they yeah, do. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, out of all the albums we're covering today, yeah, this is the one I like the least. Yeah, I agree. I don't dislike it either, but I don't know many of that songs. I don't really see what the fuss is about. He's just got a voice box, guys. Why is he fucking? Why is it so like, <laughs> like absolutely, you know, blown out of all proportion that he's got? But look, this is a massive, massive, massive record. A massive record, and it just and it is a bit. It did for Peter Frampton, I guess, what Alive did for Kiss. But then I don't really know what's happened to Peter Frampton after that, other than he was in that um, that Simpsons that episode. Version. That Simpsons episode, <laughs> and he was in uh, the 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 Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band film as well. Oh, fucking hell! Yes, of course. Yeah, he's that. Uh, he does a really bad version of Jumping Jack Flash by the Stones as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say definitely not the best version of Jumping Jack Flash we're talking about this week. Uh, I do like the performance of Baby I Love You Way, and do you feel like we do? That's about it. This one, yeah, mm. very very much cut and dry. Because not only do I not really like the Peter Frampton one, but I. Fucking love Alive 2007 by Daft Punk. Alive 2007 by Daft Punk, as it succinctly says, is a live album from the French dance legends from 2007, recorded in their homeland during their tour in 2007, which won the Grammy for Best Dance Album in 2009. Yeah. <laughs> Not 2007. Hilarious. You can understand why as well, because fuck me. This is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. The excitement when they come on is credible. Mm. And the way that kind of robot Robot rock opening yeah yeah and i think dance live dance albums because sometimes you go and watch dance music and you go and watch a dance artist and it's just two blokes stood behind a table Mm. right and you go is it really that exciting but i think this really does capture the excitement of what it's like when when they thread their song when they mix it properly and they thread their songs into each other that like you know when you get to like um prime time your life brainwash a roll and scratching alive in then which when morphs into defunct defunct into daft and direct oh mate yeah Yeah. i mean fucking so good and again you know like in terms of the set list uh you don't get any of that massive random access memory stuff but i actually don't mind that that much i'm not a huge fan of that record particularly touch it around the world one more time like so prime time your life defunct human after all there's says like huge songs on this this is well good i'd never listened to this before it's fucking brilliant it might be the best i mean it's the only like dance album we have on here yeah i think like worlds on fire by the prodigy is great you know it's very good it's dvd more than a live album i guess but this is the one this might be the best dance live album ever it's really fucking good uh, i don't know enough about dance to say otherwise but i mean if this is the best one i yeah wouldn't be surprised it's fucking amazing yeah the live remix is the kind of interpolation between their own songs the kind of reimagining you know not drastically so like we will come on to 
uh, in the very next one, actually, the very next uh, round. But yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and it made me realise quite how much I love Daft Punk. I've not listened to loads of them. I don't think I know any of their albums in full. Uh, I am I'm quite literally more of a the best of Daft Punk man. But oh my God, these songs, you know, you ca- you can't not love them. Can't not love Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger. And if you do, yeah. you're dead inside. Like really really good and you agreed uh 29.9% for Frampton comes alive 70.1% for Daft Punk so Daft Punk going through pretty pretty comfortably i mean yeah. you know a, a full house i would say for Daft Punk on that one really um this next one we've only got two more spaces to fill this next one is a right bastard yeah talking heads Stop Making Sense versus Metallic KO by the Stooges. This is massive. Talking Heads, oddly subversive, unique live album and concert film from 1985. I mean, we have to ignore the visuals on this because it's the album. But if you watch the film, it's fucking amazing. Um, But it doesn't matter anyway, even if you don't see the visuals, because Talking Heads make their own compositions into these very it's all very different and like these reimagined odd artsy versions of their kind of greatest hits again there is a bits and bobs missing out here but really from this period you'd be like i want psycho killer i want burn down the house i want you know uh once in a lifetime that version of take me to the river by al green ferocious is absolutely incredible and it's but it's against like this is an interesting one because the stooges metallic ko iggy versus the egg chuckers the (laughs) final ever stooges show yeah before they split and then reformed in 2003 captured in raw harsh nasty confrontational style in detroit in 1974 the first half is actually a show in 1973 but this is the last show in 1974 from 1974 Mm. released in 1975 so different to the Talking Head show. And isn't it weird because these are essentially both punk bands? Yeah. Yeah, these two albums could not be more different. Two definitive punk bands, you know. Um, one, well, I mean, the definitive punk band perhaps in the film of the Stooges, certainly for Proto, um, apart from maybe MC5. Oh, God. Um, yeah. I mean, so different in so many ways. You know, the Stooges one is straight ahead, raw, as aggressive as that band could ever be. Talking Heads is a measured, interesting kind of, um, yeah, reinterpretation, a deconstruction and reassembly of everything that they were known for. Um, I basically just have to go with what I enjoy listening to more out of the two of them. And basically, for me, purely on audio fidelity, I have to give it to Talking Heads on this one. And it pains me to be mean. Well, not mean. It pains me to knock Iggy out in the early stages, but it's got to be done for me um yeah i think you know the stooges metallic ko is an inc- is incredible the I hardest working band f- in the business yeah i think it drops a few marks because they just bin their set off which i assume would have included you know songs like loose tvi mm-hmm. now i want to be your dog i think um some of those songs are on the expanded 1988 version but none of which are aired here and instead they just do i oh, will fucking give you louie louie after they're getting like light bulbs and eggs chucked at them yeah so there is a lot like it's got that friction and intensity of the stooges at their most intense that kind of genuine one-off thing makes this 
a proper classic. But Talking Heads Stop Making Sense is without question in the conversation to win this whole fucking thing. Oh, because fuck yeah. everything yeah. about this are they the definitive versions of all these songs? I don't know, but they're certainly like the oddest, most unusual, most surprising, like brilliantly realized versions of them. I, I think, you know, I would probably go with Talking Heads and 58.4% to 41.6% agrees with you and I, Sam. Yeah. And for that reason, I think Talking Heads go through. That's another of the absolute toughest ones that we've yeah. had in here yeah yeah not good that not good at all which brings us to our final round which is ramones it's alive versus depeche mode 101 so uh on one hand i mean this is quite a different um <laughs> matchup really isn't it yeah <laughs> it's the 1979 live album from punk legends ramones where they're at their real best, I think, mm. live. You know, live stuff so fast and aggressive and harsh. Recorded in London, 1977. This is a vicious document of the band at their fastest and wildest, making all those songs sound spikier than they were in their studio form. And when you look at the track listing as well of, I mean, what, we've got 28 songs here. 28 songs performed in under an hour. Mental. Classic Ramones, Rockaway Beach, Blitzkrieg, I mean, chucking out Blitzkrieg, Third, third yeah fucking brilliant she is a punk rocker that version of surfing bird um <laughs> you know i don't want to walk around with you do you want to dance judy is a punk susie's a headbanger let's dance now i want to sniff some glue we're happy family to a close as well as hilarious but like yeah i mean the ramones back catalogue is full of like absolutely brilliant brilliant songs and there's a few missing from this you know, there's a few that you would want to add on. I, I'd say this does later in their career. Yeah, I mean, this does pretty superbly represent the best of their stuff. There, there are definitely some choice cuts from latter material that I think could get in there, particularly some of Dee King's solo stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, banter! But uh, yeah, definitely, yeah, it's hard yeah. hard to argue. I mean, there's a lot of self-titled and there's a lot of Rocket to Russia on here, and it's done yeah. very, very, very well indeed. Versus Depeche Mode 101, the 101st show on the band's Music for the Masses tour, finding them at the huge 50,000 plus capacity Pasadena Rose Bowl in 1988. And they absolutely fucking smash it. I mean, this is important. So it's 1989, isn't it? Not 1988. I said 1988. No, it's actually 1989. My fault. The Electro Woodstock, as it was referred to at the time. For me, I think you get the definitive version of Everything Counts and maybe, maybe even the definitive version of Never Let Me Down on here. You can also hear a crowd going absolutely mad for it. It is a landmark gig, but no enjoy the silence, no personal Jesus, no policy of truth, no barrel of a gun, no in your shoes, no it's no good, no where's the revolution, no precious, no I feel you. There's a lot missing from the, the Depeche Mode that we know and love today. There's a lot missing, but for my money, we also get the definitive version of Stripped, uh, of Black Celebration, um, yeah, Never Let Me Down Again, um, Master of Master and Servant. I think the only absolute highlight, because this is one of the best <laughs> bands playing some of the best songs ever at, you know, kind of unhinged levels of 
live hedonistic abandon. I mean, Garn at mm. times on this, actually just screaming out into the audience. It's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, not quite like Napalm Death, but he, he does it. And um, yeah, it, it feels dangerous. It feels live and dangerous, so to speak. Mm. You know? um, but something like People Are People, you can't fuck with it. Um, I'm just... Yeah. I'm almost loath to pick Tepesh Mode for this one because I don't want to have to decide between them and Talking Heads, but it's got to be 101 for me, man. Uh, for me, it absolutely is. I mean, look at that fucking set list. Pimp Behind the Wheel, Strange Love, Something to Do, Blasphemous Rumours, Stripped, Somebody, The Things You Said, Black Celebration, Shake the Disease, Pleasure Little Treasure, People of People, Question of Time, Never Let Me Down Again. This last four, Never Let Me Down Again, Master and Servant, Just Can't Get Enough, Everything Counts. Fucking hell. Fucking hell. That is great. Um, you voted 47.4% for Ramones, 52.6% for Depeche Mode. And I think that means Depeche Mode go through into the last 16, which we're going to talk about now. We're going to try and bust through these because we've already been going for a long time. We've got to get through these. So we've just sort of discussed the albums. You know what we think about them. This is where we have to cut you out. We didn't get a chance to do your uh, your chats, but we will still keep what you said in mind uh, when we do this. Like if there's a very, very popular album, we might refer back to the poll we did. MC5 versus Metallica. Um, I like Metallica more. Yeah. I think it's a, a proper one-off and it's unique and it's unusual. You mentioned a few of the weaker moments in it. Um, I'm not sure there is a moment as definitive as kick out the jams motherfucker on Metallica S&M. Nope. But then saying that, I do prefer it to MC5. What are you saying, Sam? Oh, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I will give it to Metallica because, yeah, the Outlaw, that version of the Outlaw Torn, um, I mean, that alone just about swings it in terms of enjoyment. I think for Impact, you cannot deny MC5. I mean, you don't get Metallica without MC5, do you? I think they would probably you don't pick get a it. lot of things. Well, yeah, you don't get <laughs> a lot of things. But yeah. yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of things. You know, um, I'm pretty sure the, the dis I... discharge listening James Hetfield would choose MC5 over SNM, but I've got to go with Metallica on this one, man. I think I'm going to go with Metallica as well, just because A, I prefer it more. Yeah. I think the impact of Kick Out the Jams as an album. But it is really down to it's the title as track. As great as some it? of those other songs are, it's that title track has been so hugely influential. I think the breadth and the scope of and and the you know the, and as well like the bravery to go and get Michael Kamen in to do an orchestral thing with a you know a thrash metal band, Metallica. At, um, you know, it's not Metallica at the peak of their powers, but it's Metallica at a very very high level and a creative Pot, peak. Doing, I would argue and doing a very yes, doing something very very creative. So I'm going to say Metallica. Yeah. Knockout, kick out the jams. Biffy Clyro versus Queen. I think it's Queen, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think you can't really argue. I mean, I think in terms of kind of theatricality and um, kind of spectacle and grandeur, there's a conversation to be had about maybe the live footage. Um, but yeah, Queen, those songs. Um, no, no shade on Biffy Clyro at all, who I absolutely adore. But Queen's music in the UK is going to endure even longer than their biggest songs it is yeah. and it, it's you know them going back to the place where that absolutely iconic thing happened i think biffy uh i i maybe might not have if it had been up to me to sort of go like what i generally consider you never see revolutions live at wembley 
talked about in any lists of the greatest live albums ever and what if that might you know that you might think that's really harsh and unfair and whatever and maybe it is but you know i think i think it has to be queen really yeah the queen at wembley stadium with that set list like it's just too iconic isn't it yeah the, the biffy album is very strong indeed but yeah it it's queen it is queen mm-hmm. yeah right this is hard the who versus thin lizzie <sighs> Now, there's a lot of power behind the performances of every single member of both of these bands. Um, as someone who, kind of by default, because I, I had one and no one else wanted to play it, as a bassist, I'm going to go to the kind of rhythm section on this as the deciding factor. And I can't say no to John Entwistle and Keith Moon. Yeah, you've made that easy for me there, Sam, because I think um, I didn't want to have... I had a, a feeling you might pick Thin Lizzy. I think the question of overdubs on Live and Dangerous just, just means that The Who get the nod here. Yeah. The Who Live at Leeds is fucking incredible. And like, you know, Thin Lizzy Live and Dangerous is amazing. And I don't really care that there's any loads of overdubs to it because it just sounds brilliant nah. and those songs are fucking amazing. Um, there's a couple of songs on, like, if we're being really harsh, there's a couple of songs on, you know, Thin Lizzy Lies in, Live and Dangerous, which probably aren't quite as iconic as everything on The Who Live at Leeds. Yeah. And I do think The Who, but then I do also think The Who Live at Leeds has uh, more stuff missing from it than uh, than Thin Lizzy Live and Dangerous. But, you know, it's not like that. Jailbreak's not on um, Live and Dangerous. So, you know, that's got stuff missing as yes, well. Yes, it is. Basically. It opens it. Oh fuck yeah! What am I talking about? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, hold on. What am I? Uh, no, I, I can't remember what I was thinking of. Don't worry, case. they're out it anyway. Matter, Sorry, yeah, they're out anyway. Sorry, <laughs> Thin Lizzy. Yeah. Um, right, Nirvana versus Motorhead. Oh, I mean, sonically, the two diametrically opposed. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Very different. Oh God, do we take? the livest live band's definitive statement or do we take the swan song of the most important band since the Beatles? Um, I'm going with Nirvana. Yeah, I think it's, again, like, you know, Motorhead are a very, very important and influential band and this is an incredible document of them at their absolute zenith. Yeah. But Nirvana Unplugged is just so unlike pretty much anything else that we have to talk about in terms of like how iconic it is just you know kurt that green thing that he was wearing the pictures of him that scream at the end that you know the camera i know we're not supposed to be thinking about the visuals as well because it's not fair because you don't have the visual of motorhead that set list is fucking phenomenal and the fact that it nearly didn't happen like in the rehearsals they were struggling for so long to get like Grohl to kind of uh, the way he played I mean him having to pare himself right down so that it worked as an acoustic set I mean the fact that we nearly didn't get this album I think makes it all the more special that it's pulled off so brilliantly in one go Mm. like yeah 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 it's got to be nirvana it's got to be nirvana Uh, I think this for me is a really tough one Johnny Cash versus Alison Chains Unplugged Oh, I'm going to say it straight away. I'm going to say it straight away. To me, I know Johnny Cash is broadly considered the classic and one of the greatest live albums ever. It has an energy about it, which is very, very unique. It's not the best performance. That's allowed to happen. You know, it's not the best performance, but I think that's that's fine. Um, 
But I think Alice in Chains Unplugged is literally perfect. Yeah. Again, you know, like the, the, both of them are settings that are very, very hard to replicate. I think Johnny Cash at Folsom is very hard to replicate. I think Alice in Chains Unplugged is impossible to replicate. It's not, yeah, it's the setting, um, it is the circumstance, it is the uh, reinterpretation emotionally of their own songs, particularly Lane. Um, I think if if we were talking about, if there were an, an, an American Recordings live album that we were considering, well, if there was one at all, then it might be a different conversation um, because of, you know, Cash. Uh, I mean, you listen to his cover of her, he knew the, the kind of, the end of his immortality was nigh just in the same way that lane does like lane knows he's he's not far off gone really i mean he is basically already gone just not physically um yeah allison chains uh i'm not looking forward to the battle of the unplugged no 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 <laughs> well we might not get it so don't worry oh, well, okay. too much um bob marley versus sepultura very very similar you know max cavalier used to get compared to the you know the sort of metal bob marley quite a lot uh look i love sepultura they're probably my favorite that run of four albums is probably my favorite four metal albums back to back when mm. they were doing it's all the stuff from that so it is absolutely amazing it snuck in here because we kind of needed one more and i was like well that is an important document of a very unique thing i think it's brilliant as well i think it's very very good <laughs> i don't i don't think it can beat bob marley personally no it can't it can't um as I've said, I'm not, you know, massively au fait with Bob Marley or, or really, you know, the kind of the genre in which he, well, that he absolutely defined. I'm also, and this is a, a confession, I don't absolutely adore Sepultura. There's something about them that I just find still a bit difficult to get on with. Like, don't get me wrong, Refuse Resist, Roots, uh, Roots Bloody Roots, Ratamahatta, uh, <laughs> they've got so many brilliant songs. Uh, I purely for enjoyment of the two albums. Um, well, for the two artists, I would I would take Bob Marley anyway. Impact, legacy, influence, etc. Yeah, undoubtedly that's obviously yeah. obviously. But just in terms of these two albums, I have more fun listening to Bob Marley's one. I'd much that rather put it of, on. That version of No Woman No Cry is m more famous than everything Sepultura <laughs> have ever done yeah. put together I yeah. think so yeah it's quite hard to say it's right um, Sam Cooke versus Daft Punk these are two that I mean I wasn't familiar with until we started doing this and I absolutely love both of them mm. I really do love both of them but I know which one I think I want to go through to be honest look I think the Daft Punk live album is wicked yeah absolutely wicked but that Sam Cooke record is astonishing it's a revelation for me i had no idea I didn't really know sam cook i'd heard the name that was about the extent of it and i knew people loved him um yeah uh <laughs> sam cook i'm sorry to the anonymous frenchmen that are daft punk but sam cook's got it yeah i think it <laughs> i know you lot voted for rolling stones over sam cook uh, but again you know like it, it is better. This, <laughs> like, this isn't just, pre planned, by the way. Like, no, it's not. Yeah. It, it just is better. Right. <sighs> Talking heads against Depeche Mode. Uh, I mean, Depeche Mode. Oh. Not far behind Napalm Death, my favourite British band ever. Not far behind at all. I absolutely adore Depeche Mode. But as you say, I think there's a lot 
a lot of Depeche Mode's best material follows the release of this album. And I think what Talking Heads do is a more interesting and revolutionary kind of take on deconstructing and rebuilding your own work. And this is aside from the kind of visual accompaniment. I think their statement is more impressive and probably... Well, actually, it's probably less influential in the grand scheme. I think 101 is more of a kind of definitive rock concert, but I think um, Talking Heads is more of a definitive kind of art piece in Stop Making Sense. Um, I've I've got a I've got a lean on Stop Making Sense here. Okay. Here See, I was going to go. go. I was going to go with 101. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the I tough just one, think, isn't it? I just think you know what we were saying earlier about the 1975. Yeah. Depeche Mode are better at writing songs that sound good live than Talking Heads are. I think without, if, if we, because this comes down to it, this is absolutely two 10 out of 10 records. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, right? this should be the, well, there are many that should be in the final, but for me, this this could well be the final. Right. Yeah, there's no covers on 101, even though I love that cover that is on Stop uh, Stop making sense. Um, it's got more songs on it, and all of them are great. You've already argued that the definitive stripped, the definitive black celebration, the mm. definitive everything counts. Is it really the definitive once in a lifetime? The definitive psycho killer? Is it the very best? Is it the version that you would always go to? Look, what it is is an in, is is an incredible reimagining of your songs and how to play your songs live in a quote-unquote kind of concert format right mm -hmm. and change the format of how that happened but when you sit down and put the record on as good as it is and it is great it is amazing i i i think that the pesh mode is just it's just better in the same way as i think allison chains is just better than johnny cash and that might be my, I'm, you know, I did say I'd be as sort of, you know, measured and analytical as possible. But I can't help but feel that 101 is just a better, like just a much more enjoyable, better, fun, consistently great record. And that's not to say that Talking Heads aren't, because they, they yeah. are. I, I, consistently great, yeah, both of them. Fun, yeah, both of them. Enjoyable. 101 would have to pick it wouldn't it because pop music ultimately I think it, so. it, it is it is easy it's not even easier nicer to listen to even when it is but bleak, then dark pop music like fucking black celebration and stuff like that but then stop making sense it's, it's still really good fun as well you know it's not like it's not enjoyable and it's not fun and those songs aren't fucking great oh, i mean that well. version of like slippery is like it's brilliant yeah, yeah. i mean yeah I'm, I'm gonna have to give in, and not just because you you will beat me up if I don't let. Well, I think I'm a, okay. So I'm gonna go back to the audience vote on this because I feel like you and I, because I was about to give in to you. Oh really? You went, oh, okay. If we fucking flip flop and suddenly I want talking heads and you want, mm. we're gonna go on the percentage of what. I mean, this is. And that, just go for the number of votes rather than the percentage, because otherwise, I mean, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't really tell because so. There was 173 votes 
between Talking Heads and Stooges, and they got 58.4% of the vote, and 192 votes, so slightly more votes, but Depeche Mode got a lower share of it, so it got 52.6 against It's Alive by the Ramones. Here's what I would say, and I think it's made up the decision, and you might agree with this. I think it's harder to get past Metallic KO by the Stooges than it is to get past It's Alive by the Ramones. Yeah. And Talking Heads got a bigger share of the vote for that. Yeah, Talking Heads. I do prefer 101. Why don't you do a live tweet right now while we do the next draw? Just do a quick live poll. People have got like five, ten minutes to get it in and then they'll find out tomorrow what, what's happened. Um, No, let's just... All right, let's just have heads Talking Heads, heads fine, yeah. All let's right. just put Talking Heads through. It, yeah, I mean, I think people would go mad if we didn't do that, right? So, yeah, fair. You know, let them go through. Right, quarterfinals. Let's bust through these. Metallica against Queen. Uh, that's quite a hard one that is hard uh, I would go to I listen to SNM more so I'm going to go Metallica yeah you know I'm going to say this right I still feel like Live Killers is the definitive queen that's if that will let Metallica through that's enough for me so that's what I'm going to say okay <laughs> okay cool uh, so Metallica Oh, they're doing uh, well, aren't they? And queen. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah absolutely. Uh, the Who versus Nirvana. <laughs> okay. Now, now live at Leeds, as as you said in its kind of intro sting, an excellent uh, subversive reaction to their own work. I would argue that Unplugged, maybe not necessarily a kind of subversion of, but. Um, a reaction to, I think, the harshness of in utero, but keeping that kind of bleak energy where Tom, Tommy, you know, it's a story with its darkness running through it, but it's quite a, quite a bright sounding album. Whereas Live at Leeds, I think, is a, a, a most stark change from what they were doing before. I think that just in terms of the change in performance of a band from a, li- from a studio LP to a live album... I can't believe I'm doing this to Kurt Cobain's memory. I'm just going to go with The Who, I think. Ooh, fucking hell. And it's um, fucking tough. I mean, th- we're getting to the 11 out of 10 albums mm, of all time, we aren't are. we, really, at this point? I think The Who have more material to come in the aftermath of this. Yes, they didn't ever capture it live as well as they captured the material they did on live at Leeds but I think if you're doing a definitive version of a David Bowie song and you're not David Bowie I've also just remembered the last note of the Lead Belly song yeah sorry I'm going to change my and vote to Nirvana the Lead Belly thing is I honestly and it's harsh because you know I think I think for me just it's got to be Nirvana there is no other time that that ever could have been made that album uh, yeah, I, I, I've remembered Lead Belly and uh, yeah, mm. I'll, I'll change my vote. Yeah, Nirvana. Okay. Oh God, Metallica versus Nirvana. That's going to be like 1991 yeah. all over again. <laughs> yeah, Alice in Chains versus Bob Marley. Oof. Oh, fuck me. Yeah, brutal. Absolutely brutal. Um, I suppose. There's by... no doubt about it. If we went for like, you know, Alice in Chains beating Johnny Cash, 
which is probably just about, I would say, a more well-known live document of a very, very important fame. Look, you know, Johnny Cash is more culturally sort of significant than Alice in Chains are, whether or not we want to admit that or not. That That is just true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob Marley is very, very much more culturally significant than Alice in Chains. Um, there's a bunch of songs of Bob Marley's that are not on Bob Marley and the Whalers live, but there is also at least three versions of those songs that have gone down in law as the definitive versions of some of the most essential music ever made ever in like the top 100 songs ever mm -hmm. made by anyone ever i'm not sure allison chains have that but what they do have is the same thing as nirvana had albeit for a smaller group of people and for me m musically I think Alice in Chains Unplugged, as I said before, is actually better than Nirvana Unplugged. And I think Nirvana Unplugged is fucking staggering. So I'm at a real loss here, basically. I'm really annoyed that you said that because I was going to say I can't choose and I was going to let you just do it and I'd just nod and agree. Um, oh my God, it's the it's the luck of the draw, isn't it? Because <sighs> ultimately, which one do I prefer listening to? I've listened to Alice in Chains a lot more, but I think I'm going to have to go with Bob Marley and the Whalers. I think it's it's a nicer space to inhabit. And, you know, music doesn't always have to be nice to be enjoyable. And to be fair, you know, by your own rationale for picking Nirvana in that last round, you know, it is the... I know Alice in Chains would go on to do more stuff, but as we knew them then, it was the last we ever heard from the Lane Staley era. No woman, no cry, though. No. It is, it is, it is bigger than anything else we've got here, really, isn't it? Apart from, apart from maybe "Smells Like Teen Spirit," which doesn't even appear on that album. So, yeah. Oh, I mean, oh God, it's really, really fucking difficult. I mean, I can't give up on Alice in Chains, really. I just can't. But I think. I think you're probably right. It pains me to do it as right. well. Yeah. yeah, I think you are probably right. I think Bob Marley probably should go through, really. Sam Cook versus Talking Heads. Now, if we're talking about what should go through, yeah, what should go through, Talking Heads should go through. Because this is a Sam Cook album that sat on the shelf for 25, 23 years, 22 years. And no one had heard it. And it's a recorded at a little club in and amongst his fans and blah, 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 and all this. And it's just him performing his stuff, right? And Talking Heads is genre-defining and groundbreaking in so many ways, whereas I don't think Sam Cooke is in the same way. But the energy, the performance, the songs, the voice, the crowd, the level of excitement that is in the room during that recording of that Sam Cooke album is absolutely mind-blowing um but if he's beating depeche mode if they're beating depeche mode i think they gotta beat sam cook unfortunately but i think that sam cook album is incredible this sam cook album is a revelation but i've i've got to stick with talking heads i can't believe i didn't i mean to be fair actually i'm in some ways quite glad i didn't know sam cook before this i don't think i would have appreciated it in the same way that i might do now and probably will grow to as i get more familiar with this stuff but that that live album my god every single punk album every, 
every single bootleg recording of Fugazi from the Discord live archives, put them all together, they're still not as ferocious as Sam Cooke on that album. Fuck me. But it's got to be yeah. Talking Heads. It's got to be Talking Heads. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty... I mean, that Talking Heads is un- really special and unique in a, in a very, very special way i think so anyway metallica versus nirvana now metallica had a hell of a run considering that snm doesn't always get the sort of critical kudos in the same way as something like the who dive at leeds Folsom prison um james brown at the apollo stuff like that and here it is in the semi-finals um for me sam it's <laughs> luck's it's luck has run out I'm yeah afraid. yeah nirvana is the clear and obvious winner here they gotta walk it i'm afraid um the nirvana album you know is perfect from start to finish i adore metallica they are my they are my favorite metal band love i'm just going for metal they are my favorite metal band and uh some of these songs don't uh, don't benefit from the orchestra being there so it's it's nirvana because that is it's yeah. flawless i think so yeah um which means we got bob marley and the whalers against talking heads stop making sense Oh, good lord! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is pretty. T- this is pretty tough. Um, I'm gonna say Talking Heads, and I'm gonna say Talking Heads purely because the f- the, f- the first half of the Bob Marley album is amazing. I don't think it's got quite as huge iconic songs as the second half which is if we were talking about like side two alone that would probably win <laughs> like, on side com- two, overall, podcast. Yeah. yeah um but when you look at that psycho killer swamp slippery people burn down a house girlfriend is better side one of stop making sense which then goes into once in a lifetime what a day that was live during wartime and take me to the river i think it's just consistently We've now come to a place where No Woman, No Cry has songs where you can go, yeah, but what about Once in a Lifetime? Yeah. Um, I think we've now come down to a point where we can't... I've just got to go with personal preference rather than um, (laughs) objectivity or, you know, legacy or anything like that because, you know, we are talking about the best live albums ever, quite literally. That's the aim of this episode. Yeah, Talking Heads. Right, okay. So that gives us a final of Nirvana MTV Unplugged versus Talking Heads Stop Making Sense. Um, Initial thoughts on that as a final, Sam? Um, I mean, looking at it, I think in terms of the ones that I knew prior, I think the only... There weren't many that I, you know, wouldn't have been happy with uh, taking the top spot, really. I think I have my preferences, obviously. Um, I would say the two that we have here are two of the four that I feel are most deserving of winning, and it would be Nirvana. The other two. Yeah, well, obviously, Nirvana and Talking Heads. Depeche Mode and Alice in Chains would be the other ones, I think, for me, for my money. And actually, having heard it now, Sam Cooke as well. Uh, yeah, Sam Cooke, I yeah. think, would have been good. I mean, you know, the Who Live at Leeds, James Brown at the Apollo, there are plenty here that would have been kind of worthy of winning it. I mean, we so I think there's like fucking... There's like five or six that shouldn't have won it and everything else I would have been pretty happy with, really. Yes, we picked some pretty good ones here. Um, my initial thoughts are this, right? 
if you do something really 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 unique and sort of uh forward thinking and groundbreaking that is brilliant and you're probably probably mentally artistically only ever in a space to do that a few times uh, at certain points of your career and that's great but also if you do that maybe not to such a great extent because the format that you're changing your songs in already exists like an unplugged set for example but then circumstances surrounding it in the aftermath in the build-up in sort of legacy of your band change the context of that set and make it so that it is truly 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 a one-off moment I think you have to sort of err towards the direction of, of of that piece of work. And that is why, for me, and because I've listened to it longer, I think that's obviously going to help as well. I don't think there's anything that isn't great on either of these records. I think I would give David Byrne and Talking Heads, and Jerry and Chris and Tina, um a hell of a lot of credit particularly for you know the um it's jonathan demi isn't it who who directed the the movie yeah, is it yeah. jonathan demi believe yeah. so jonathan yeah. demi the, the 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 film of the same name stop making sense which is fucking like amazing absolutely amazing mm. really really surprised and, and and when david byrne came back a few years ago and did that tour and i think he did once in a lifetime on saturday night live and it's one of the best they've taken it off youtube now the bastards but it's one of the best live performances of anything I've ever seen in my entire life. So unique, so surprising, so like mind-blowingly brilliant. And you just think like you are thinking about how music is put together live in, in a way that no one else is really thinking about. It's absolutely amazing. But that's 30-something years on mm. from this. So it goes to show that he can still do it even years and years and down the line. We'll never get another MTV Unplugged by Nirvana. You'll never get that again. Even though I personally would put on Alice in Chains Unplugged and I song for song enjoy it more. In terms of a document of a time where the the biggest band in the world were also like the best band in the world and they really, really surprised people. No Smells Like Teen Spirit, no Lithium, you know, no um, heart-shaped box, no, you know, we could go on and on and mm. on and on for like the, the Nirvana songs, you know, No In Bloom um, or, or Breed or Territorial Pissings. Isn't <laughs> no Endless Nameless, honestly. Yeah, yeah weird, right? Um, you know, all a lot of their big, 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 big songs aren't even on this record. And yet what they replace it with, I mean, there's nothing that's not amazing on here, I don't think. If when I look at it, oh, actually saying that, Jesus don't want me for sunbeam. I'm not like in love with plateau. I'm not in love with, and that, but I do really love everything on stop making sense. So now I'm sort of second guessing myself a little bit. But I think for context, mm. yeah, I, I think I think Nirvana. Stop making sense is my favorite live DVD that I have come across in my brief, but. Uh, brief but not very worldly anyway lifetime but we are talking about the albums so i am gonna keep it strictly audio 
I think what Talking Heads did is absolutely revolutionary, as I have said. Um, are they the definitive versions of the songs? No, they're almost different songs, aren't they? They're kind of like, they are deconstructions, mm. reimaginings, reworkings. They are everything, any, anything. They are everything that any remix remaster where you just obsessively love a band what you want is to hear something fresh and different and you do not get more different than the versions that talking heads do there but for all the reasons you've just said i think everything that leads up to and everything that follows mtv unplugged distilled as a moment in time as kind of kurt cobain's last public statement it's gotta be hasn't it yeah i think it does i think it just about bloody does um anyway there you go we have decided that nirvana's 1993 recorded in released in 1994 album nirvana mtv unplugged is the finest live album ever made we'll do some more of these we'll do give us some suggestions of any things you'd like us to do in a similar format if you like this if you thought fuck me it's nearly three hours long i'm not doing that again you didn't even listen to my vote half the time you bastards you didn't, <laughs> I was, i'm a huge rolling stones get your eyes out fan and you just belittled me for liking it then um yeah don't worry about it but we will do uh you know best girl band i was one next one i want to do oh yeah sugar babes all the different versions of the sugar babes <laughs> over and <That'd> <laughs> anatomic, 17 anatomic of the 32 kid. yeah 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 um um, anyway, good. Right. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Go over to patreon.com forward slash true cult pop and we will give you some exclusive content over there, including the second part of our Nine Inch Nails, the fragile podcast. You can listen to the first part for free um, once you finish listening to this and you can finish listening to this now because it's over. Goodbye. <laughs>